When you first got to the varsity football team at Fort Ben Travis, who was the first person to kick your butt and welcome to the varsity level of competition? Uh, you know, it wasn't one particular moment. Um, I don't even know the name of the guy, but um, I just remember, you know, going into my sophomore year, uh, you know, I kind of knew going into fall camp my sophomore year that I was going to be on varsity. Um, you know, I, at the time, I was kind of scheduled to be the starting long snapper. Mm -hmm. uh, and, I, and I was starting on the O-line for a little bit. But we had a scrimmage at Terry High School, and I think it was versus Terry, and I got freaking destroyed that <laughs> scrimmage. It was horrible. Uh, I just remember we ran 28 toss and eight stretch, and, like, I could not reach anybody. And Coach Farmer pulled me in, like, very soon after and basically self-told, like, hey, we're going to have to find somebody else. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy Alright, welcome to another new episode of the Team Player Podcast Episode number 56 This is a very special episode uh, to me This is the our first Team Player Podcast guest that shares the same uh, genetic code as I do the same DNA, because it's my brother Ryan Kovaleski is stepping into the Team Player Podcast studios today uh, he's coached at a couple different stops, but now he is the uh, defensive coordinator and head wrestling coach at Kiefer High School in Kiefer, America, Oklahoma. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Uh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, and you know, I enjoy following your podcast and honored to be on here with you. All right. Yeah, I appreciate you following. And, and if you're a fan as well, make sure you take the five seconds to give us a, a five-star rating. Wherever you're listening, just click on the five stars, and you can also leave a written review. And uh, we're over 50 review uh, ratings on Spotify, so that's great. So let's keep them coming because uh, more people will find the show the more reviews that we get. And then you can hit the follow button to subscribe and get a new episode in your queue every Sunday. We would be honored if the Team Player Podcast made it into your rotation. And I'm your host, James Kovaleski. Please follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. Now, I guess I didn't know that, Ryan. I, I didn't realize that there was a – I know that you made the varsity as a sophomore and primarily for your deep snapping, and you were what I remember a reserve lineman. I didn't realize there was a portion of time where you actually had the starting position going into your sophomore year. Yeah, like going into my sophomore year, you know, our my freshman year was the first year of varsity at Travis, and yeah. it was a great year. You know, they made the playoffs the first year, and then there was a lot of seniors on that class that kind of graduated. Uh, going into my sophomore year, you know, I somehow, you know, found a way to be like the strong guard yeah. going in, or I guess like somehow at some point in fall camp, I just remember starting for a little bit. Yeah. Um, or at least splitting time. And yeah. uh, um, I just I don't know. I remember that scrimmage at Terry, though. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is bad. Yeah. I was just getting destroyed. And I could just tell physically I was not ready yeah. to play offensive line. And so 
Um, <clears throat> that was when Coach Farmer kind of had a come to Jesus meeting with me. And uh, how did he do it? This, this is a coaching show, you know. So it's like we talk about these kinds of issues. Like when you have that situation, you got a very young kid, only a sophomore, who's going to be a good player for you, but he's just not ready. How did he break that news to you? Was it was he very <laughs> kind and gentle about it, or did he kind of just uh, give it to you straight? Or what? What, what did he say to you? Well, he was he was actually very kind and gentle, which was I thought more kind and gentle than I thought it was going to be because. You know, I came from a you know, you're a coach, and I kind of yeah. knew. I knew I played horrible, so uh, yeah. you know, yeah. I I thought like, oh man, this is gonna be really bad when we watch the film on this. Yeah. Uh, but no, he pulled me in after film after we watched it for everybody and kind of sat me down and and just explained to me like, hey, you're just not ready. Yeah. Um, you know, we we had a senior defensive lineman who was kind of in the rotation that they decided to move to O line at that time. Yeah. Um, and he kind of took over for the season, but yeah. So, but he did a really good job explaining it to me, but. Um, you know, in my mind, I wasn't like broken. I was pretty, pretty mentally tough then. So I was just, yeah. you know, I was like, okay, yes, sir. I'm just going to do whatever I can to help the team. And, um, yeah, well, yeah, you, you, you had the advantage of growing up in a kind of a coaching family and, you know, with me coaching and stuff. So I, I think you understood the, the right way to approach it, but were you, I'm curious, were you, were you hurt and disappointed because you, you wanted to be a starting offensive lineman as a sophomore, or did you kind of understand like, Hey, I, I'm here to be the best deep snapper. I can be this season and get better and be ready that I can be a starter next year. I'm kind of curious what your, what your thought process was when you lost that starting position. Um, I definitely understood. Cause um, I mean, I, you know, I played, you know, football for a while. I just knew that if that was giving me my performance on the varsity level, then right. we weren't going to be very good, you know. Right. So yeah. Yeah. I, I probably I knew it was best for the team, you know. That yeah, um, we found somebody else. I just wasn't physically, mentally, whatever, you know, ready for yeah. the spot then. Yeah, there, there's an old saying in coaching that for every sophomore that starts, you can count that up as a loss. Now, you know, I, yeah. I <laughs> and you know, back in my day, and again, I'm pushing forty now. I mean, there most times there's like one sophomore that made a varsity team. Times have changed a couple different reasons. Yeah. I think maybe, you know, participation numbers are lower now. There's not so many kids and so many seniors on varsity teams anymore. So yeah. you need sophomores to step up. And also I think, you know, football is growing with like kids, you know, getting involved with, with personal trainers or playing seven on seven or flag football or other things like that. So I think, I think kids are just a little more ready sometimes too. And uh, so I think a, a combination of those two reasons, but you see a lot of sophomores now in any game you go to. And so that's, that's yeah. changed a lot uh, in the past 20 years. Yeah. Especially, yeah, especially you know, five A, six A ball in Houston. It's it's a little different two A football here in Oklahoma, but right. but still, I mean, um, you know, we we try to rely on our older kids the most we can, but at the end of the day, you just got to find someone that's going to perform. Yep, and so I know all about your early life, man. Obviously, because I was here for every minute of it. Uh, yeah, unlike me, you you were born here in the United States, so you're you're you are half Japanese, but you you were born here in yep. Houston. Um. Can you remember our initial house on Stancliffe Oaks at all? I mean, I know you were there. We know we did live there for a time, but no, no memory. No, I, I do, I do not. I, <laughs> I barely remember Barrington Place, honestly. That is, yeah, all right. You don't remember the neighborhood at all, so you definitely don't remember the house. Yeah, so that's no, that's yeah, where you yeah. that's where you were brought home to after you were born. You lived there gotcha. for a little bit, but uh, you really where your memory starts in the new territory uh, community out there in Sugarland, and so you. You had a really nice distinction of, and I think this is really cool, and I'm excited for my son, Bo, to have hopefully the same the same experience that, you know, I had to move. You know, I, I had to go through moving in the middle of my eighth grade year, which is kind of a, a difficult time, you know, when you're kind of awkward in your middle school phase and just starting all, all new at a new school. But you went to the same, you lived in the same house your entire K through 12 existence. So you got to be literally going to the same feeders all the way through. Can you describe 
kind of what that was like? Would you, did you did you enjoy that? Did you enjoy kind of that that continuity of being in one place? Yeah, it was awesome. You know, uh, New Territory is a great place to grow up. Um, great community of just people. You know, had a lot of friends everywhere. Um, but no, it was awesome. I mean, a lot of the kids that you know we kind of grew up with. Yeah, you just stayed in school with the entire way. And, you know, you look back at old yearbooks and people you're yeah. in kindergarten classes with, you're graduating with. Right. Um, now, it was a little bit different kind of where I grew up because of the middle school distinction. How right. we split up after middle school, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about later. But yeah, um, but no, but still, I mean, for, you know, half the middle school, you know, we were we went to Travis together and, you know, it, it was pretty it was awesome growing up in New territory. So. And then, you know, you know, for people that don't know, I, I'm 10 years older than you and we're the only two, you know, just, you know, the only uh, kids in the family. And I, I was already into coaching. I, I probably by the time you were, I guess I, I was, uh, when you were in middle school, I was probably finishing at Austin college, you know? So what, you know, when you, I believe, I believe my graduate year, I remember going to one of your seventh grade games. And uh, so that was kind of the timeline, you know, uh, you're in middle uh, yeah, school. So Somewhere in middle school, I remember going to Clements with you. Yeah. And like we'd go work out and stuff. Yeah. Right. Yep. I think maybe yep. towards your eighth grade year, I had gotten the job at Clements mm -hmm. and you were getting ready for high school. But, you know, I was a college football player. So when you started paying, you started playing peewee football, um, I guess in your fifth grade year, you played two years of peewee football leading up to yeah, being fifth starting grade. in middle school. So, mm -hmm. you know, growing up with a brother that was a college football player and an aspiring coach you were always around, you know, when I was working out, I, I took you with me we kind of whatever we did, but, and I, you know, I take you in the backyard. We worked on pass rush moves and pass sets and all kinds of stuff and catching. You were yeah. one of, you're one of those kids. And I mean, sometimes it makes me sad when you see kids that are in high school and you can just tell their, their parent never went out in the front yard and played catch with them. That wasn't your yeah. situation. I mean, you're a kid that you throw a good spiral, you catch the ball. Well, for a, you, really, you really catch the ball kind of like a tight end would, which you're, you know, as a lineman, but what was that experience like growing up, um, where you were exposed to sports, you, you I, I hope we didn't pressure you in any kind of way, but I think you had a really positive upbringing around sports. So you, it was very comfortable for you. So can you just describe what that childhood was like being kind of a, a coach's kid almost in a way? Well, it was awesome. I mean, some of my earliest memories are going to the Austin high school field house with you yeah. and yep. um, I don't, you'd go do summer workouts or whatever. I don't even know what time of the year it was, honestly, but I just remember being up there all the time, kind of hanging out and, you know, you guys all be working out and, uh, you know, we, we, everything we did was just around sports, you know, even if we were at the house and luckily kind of where we lived in new territory, the sports complex was just a couple blocks away. So, yeah. you know, a lot of soccer fields basically. So we could go up there and go play whatever, you know, football, soccer, uh, even in our street, we'd play football, basketball, hockey, soccer. I mean, any, any sport possible, we'd always be playing something. So, um, but no, that, that exposure was great. Um, just felt like every time we went outside, it was just going to compete and playing something. So, um, but yeah, being around you and just being around a bunch of really good role models um, that were coaches that really worked hard was great. Um, and just, you know, fell in love with sports, uh, fell in love with going to games and just playing everything possible. And I want to talk about your peewee football experience. Cause I mean, I I'm about to ask you how you feel about this, but I've actually, and this is not a slight against Pee Wee football. I guess it kind of is going to be a slight, but it, it's nothing against the experience. I thought your experience was great. Um, one of our team player podcast uh, alums, episode nine, Stephen Ochoa, his dad was instrumental in running and helping this program, the New Territory Knights. And I thought it was great. As time has gone on and we've kind of learned more things about the rep repercussions of football, um, 
I've come the other way where with my son, Bo, I, and I don't know if we've ever actually really discussed this, Ryan, but like, I don't really want him playing football until seventh grade. That's just my personal opinion. I want him heavily involved in flag football as soon as he's able mm-hmm. and, and learning skills and learning the game and those kinds of things. But in my opinion, being a coach, like I've just seen that. I don't know how much it helps. You know, I think as long as a kid's starting in middle school, I think it's safer and he's a blank slate where, you know, you hopefully have, you know, very qualified coaches that can teach them the right techniques. And so I guess had, if I were able to do it over, I mean, I, I don't regret it. I mean, you had a great experience, made a lot of good friends, but I mean, for me personally, now at this stage of my life, I think kids should start playing football in seventh grade. Now, again, I'm not like, I'm not saying we should ban peewee football or I, I think everybody's entitled to their, their own opinion, but that's kind of where I lie. I'm curious for you, your son, Miles, you know what, when he wants to play football, I mean, is he going to start in seventh grade, you know, and keep her junior high or, or do you think he'll, you'll start him earlier in some kind of peewee league? Um, you know, I think we're going to start in seventh grade. Um, yeah. That's my plan as of now. You know, if, he, if he's really pressuring me and wants to play earlier on, we can talk about it. Um, but, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, you know, I, I just think probably the best thing about doing um, early on uh, with Wee was, uh, you know, the friends that you made, basically, yeah, the definitely. connection that you made. You know, it was pretty cool because, you know, we're, you know, where I grew up in elementary school, basically – New territory was two different sides. There's a couple elementary schools over here, one on the other side. Right. And basically we met together for middle school. So when we went to go play, you know, Pee Wee football together, it, it gave us a lot of friends from the other side of New Territory going right. into middle school. But in terms of like player development, um, I don't really know if that really helped anything. Sure. Um, I guess it got us comfortable with the sport early on. Um, I really don't even remember anything about practices or games or anything from Pee Wee, but um but yeah, as a coach now, you know, I'm, you know, if they want to play early, that's awesome. Um, but I think just skills, you know, learning flight football skills, learning right. how to catch and throw a football is very basic, but something every kid should know how to do. Um, and they just don't. I mean, you see a lot of kids that just don't go out and play and just don't know. Um, but yeah, and also I think, you know, the earlier that kids start, you know, it kind of leads to burnout um, sure. a sure. lot more as well, you know, and that kind of, you know, now I'm coaching wrestling. You see that a lot, you know, when kids will start wrestling really early on and they're really successful and they're going to tournaments every weekend, but that's a grind going to, you know, an all day tournament every single weekend for four months straight. Um, And just, you know, it's just get tired of it. You know, by the time they're in middle school and high school, you know, they're just getting tired of playing as much and they just don't want to do as much. And so um, that's at least struggles I see nowadays, just kids not wanting to play as much as I felt like we used to. Yeah. And I think the new territory situation is really great. Cause again, Michael Choa, who led the team, you know, it was a really good organization filled with good mm. people, but sometimes, you know, I do see, I, I question some of these guys that are doing like extreme, you know, shotgun alley, you know, <laughs> with little kids. Yeah. And like, I don't think that's really, that's not teaching the game that, that that's, that's verging on reckless cruelty almost in, you know, uh, in, in my opinion. So I would just if if I, if your if Miles was to push you, I think you would do the same as me. You do your due diligence to make sure like you're comfortable with the adults that are handling you know your kids. So I think oh, yeah. I think yeah, I'm not saying it's extremely dangerous, but I th- I think with good coaches it's safe. But I think with the wrong set of coaches, it can be very dangerous. So yeah, I, yeah. I'm really I'm interested. I'm I'm excited to hear that we're kind of on the same page with that. I think that I think that's a smart move. Now as far as yeah, you know, I just think yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I think priorities. You know, like. You know, I, I know everybody wants to win, but that's not, it can't be the main priority, especially that young, you know, yeah. it's got to be basic fundamentals, 
you know, learning good habits, learning how to, you know, have a good attitude, be a good teammate, you know, stuff that, you know, kids really struggle with right um, nowadays, I feel like. And so just trying to develop that early on. No, yeah, I, I love I love that for sure. And, uh, you know, thinking back to just playing in the street, we kind of had this the setup where every single night, and I don't know if kids still do this, but like it was every single night we would go out into the driveway, you, me, and our dad, and we would play. <laughs> like, and it was not even a question. And we would do all of them. We had a basketball hoop. We would play football in the street. We'd play hockey. We would set up baseball in the cul-de-sac. I mean, baseball, it yeah. was always, so it's kind of, it, it was just a question of which sport do we want to play tonight? And, you know, we'd let you pick, but, you know, I just remember um, some of those moments. I mean, I have some funny stories to share, but like, I remember one time, you know, dad really, we we're playing two hand touch football. He really smacked you as hard as possible and like knocked you, you know, into the sidewalk and stuff. And you got up crying, but like those kinds of memories, man, I think he was a little too hard on you there, but to some degree too, like those are good. I think there's some good to that, right? As long as it's not all the time, okay. but I think that kind of toughened you up a little bit, but do you have, do you have any memories of kind of those, those legendary, uh, football games we play, which was just the three of us. It was just me at quarterback, dad guarding you. And so basically one-on-one, one-on-ones. But uh, just what are some of your memories of those moments? It's not like a lot bigger games than just, I guess, one-on-one. Now that you you mentioned it, yeah, it it was just one-on-one, but it felt like an entire game. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was great. It was great memories. Uh, You know, we were always playing sports out there, um, doing something, you know, and then, uh, but yeah, I just remember there would be times I would just get so mad or so angry. He would he would scream uh, at you like right as the ball was coming, he'd I yell know. to scare you, and you're like, you can't do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Especially in basketball too. I remember I like about to shoot it, and he would like yell right in my face. Yeah, um, it was gosh, a bully. Man. Yeah, yeah, it was. But hey, I, but I finally, whenever I got old old enough, I was able to like control my anger and like be composed enough to right. He was like, he was goading you. He knew he could get you yeah. riled up, and so that's why he would do it. That that's oh, kind yeah. of his, his mo. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And you know, I you know, we have Reese now, who's two yeah. or about to be three, and you know, we go play sports outside all the time too. But I'm not quite as mean. But there's times where you know, we get a little competitive, and sure. it's just fun to see her play. And uh, especially when Miles starts growing up, we're gonna have him out there. Basically, just you know, in my garage, we just try to have as many sports possible. You know, just whatever. They want to go play and just be outside and try to be active as much as we can. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you, I don't have this gift that you have of throwing a football. Like I, I basically shot put the football. I don't, I don't have the range of motion or the ability to throw a good football, man, but you've got it, man. It, it's kind of, it's kind of uncanny, honestly, for a guy that is a lineman, you really throw a good ball. I think a lot of people would be surprised to watch you. First of all, shoot a jumper. You've got great shooting form. Uh, your wife's actually even better, Morgan. Shout out to Morgan. Her, her, her shooting is incredible, but you're pretty good. You're pretty good outside shooter. Um, I know you told me the story uh, you, at UCO, Central Oklahoma, is it when you're playing college football, you had a three point shootout amongst the team, and you made it to the finals like against a former, you know, varsity basketball player in the state of Oklahoma. Denton but, Ryan, yeah, yeah, or, Den- or from Denton Ryan, yeah. So you're one yeah. of those kids that's always been good at like picking up, a, except for maybe hitting. I, you don't seem like you hit the baseball very well, but in terms of throwing a football and shooting a basketball. It's kind of natural. So did you just – was that something you remember, like, coming up? Is this something you were really, like, working on? Because I don't remember, like, specifically teaching you those skills. I mean, or did you just feel like you just kind of naturally able to do it because you were always trying to throw a football? Or speak to that, like, kids being able to just throw and catch well and things like that. You know, how did you learn to do that? Uh, You know, throwing came a little bit later. I felt like 
you know, because I was a deep, a long snapper, um, right. you know, obviously. But you think that your deep and... snapping actually helped your throw. You Like when you started deep snapping, oh, yeah. you didn't throw the ball so well. Like the deep snapping helps you throw. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Just, you know, just constant repetition, just feeling, yeah. you know, laces come off your, your fingertips and whatnot right. and just having touch on the ball. Um, I think that definitely helps. In terms of me catching, you know, I just think I remember being at the sports complex with you and Derek and, yeah. you know, he was a former college quarterback. He was just right freaking fire the football at me and I'd go yeah. run routes or whatever and try to catch them. And, right. um, I mean, we would do that forever. And so that definitely helped me out. Um, and then, you know, we, just, we always had that basketball hoop in our driveway and I'd be out there all, all the time, just shooting yeah. hoops. And, uh, like we always just said, just, just constantly playing everything. I just think, you know, playing as much as possible just helps your skill level in all sports. Um, just being able to pick up anything and be skilled in whatever you can do. Um, but, you know, it just kind of came naturally. Now that I'm coaching, you know, I'm always feel like I'm throwing the football somewhere. Yeah. You know, especially at being in small school, sometimes I'm the seven on seven quarterback. So, you know, <laughs> right. it's like you, you never know. So, you know, uh, but, but yeah, I just always I felt like I've gotten better at throwing football just, you know, from long snapping and just, you know, having touch on the football. You know, one thing that I a memory that I have, and I don't know if you even remember this, but you, it was one of your early years of playing organized basketball at the New Territory Club. It was the style of basketball where they were going, you go like cross court. So it's very short court. Uh, the hoops were lowered. You played this game where you really had a great game and you hit, you hit a bunch of clutch free throws down the stretch, but you guys ended up losing at the like very end of the game. And I, I'll never forget you. You're coming off the court and you just burst into tears. And honestly, at that moment, I was like extremely proud. Like that, I still always, I still remember that day. And it's just, it kind of got that feeling of like, he's got it. Like he gives a shit about this. Like this game, even though this game is kind of meaningless in a way, but he cares, you know? And I just kind of knew at that moment, I was like, okay, this kid is wired the right way. He's going to be a, he's going to be a successful athlete because he cares, you know? And I'm just, do, do you remember that game at all? And then can you speak to, is that something that's just kind of some kids have it, some don't, or, or, or how do you influence kids that, that like really just love the sport so much and are so passionate about it that, that, that they give everything they got and empty the tank? Gosh, uh, I, I don't remember the game. Okay. Uh, I do remember playing at the club basketball yeah. leagues. You know, I remember like uh, there was a kid um, I played middle school basketball with, Kevin Mulcahy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't remember him, but I just remember we had some battles, little league yeah. basketball. Um, you were at that time, and this is the very beginning. You you were kind of like you know the MJ or Kobe. You were like kind of the lead scorer on your primary oh, ball yeah. handler. Yeah, my skill level went way down the, the older I got. But yes, I, early on it was really good. So right, uh, <laughs> but uh, our no, bodies I mean, caught I mean, up that, with us. Right? The Kovaleski body didn't really fill yeah, out the right, basketball yeah. body. So yeah, but <laughs> gaining all the weight. Yeah. <laughs> um. No, I don't. I don't remember that. But you know, I. You know. I felt like I always had confidence um, yeah, in any right. sport I played in. You know, I never really felt unconfident about anything right, I played. Right. You know, I, I felt like you did it, you and, you know, everything that we did growing up, you know, from mom, from, from dad was just always giving your best, no matter what, you know, yeah. trying with great effort, um, not giving up the entire way. And I just think that was one thing that always persisted in my mind, um, you know, whether middle school, high school, college, uh, being an athlete was always just trying to give your best effort, um, never quitting, never giving up, um, no matter what, really. Um, and that was one thing I just really stuck with me, you know, and especially in college when college, you know, it was hard, you know, being a college athlete. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we were you know, we were struggling at first when I first got there. It was kind of a real rebuilding program. And then we got pretty good towards the end. 
Um, and man, those off season workouts were so tough, but I just remember, you know, never quitting, never giving up, you know, you know, just doing it for the family basically. Um, and for myself, you know, I just didn't want to quit. I just wanted to keep going and, and believe that I could finish this out. That's awesome, man. And, you know, speaking of giving effort, I got to tell this story. The one time that I came to watch, the first time I came to watch you play middle school football, you were a seventh grader. I was a graduate assistant coach at Austin college. And so, you know, I'm, I'm working long hours as a coach up there. And I think you played on Mondays. And so I think what happened was, you know, we would, we played a game on Saturday, Sunday, of course, all the coaches, we broke down the film and and did our prep, you know, uh, game plan for the next week. And then Monday we brought the players in, we watched the film and then we, we were done for the day. And so I, I left Sherman, which is five hours away from Sugarland, like in the morning or I don't know, maybe sometime around lunchtime. And I got I, I drove straight through five hours, showed up at the stadium as you guys were warming up, watched this game. And oh, my God, this is like one of the most one sided ass kickings I've ever seen in my life. I, I want to say you're playing Dulles Middle School, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. It was at Travis High School, your, your future home. But it was yeah. just such, such an ass-kicking, man. And I was already, I guess, in a bad mood from just being tired and driving all the way. And I had to drive right back. I had class the next morning, Tuesday you know, Tuesday morning. So I, I drove 10 hours in a day just to watch you play middle school football. And not that you played poorly or anything per se, you know, but the thing that really got under my skin, and th- this isn't – your coaches were great, man, and they, they did a great job. But I, I was kind of upset that – there was tolerating of every single time and you were an offensive player if you were a tight end every time that you guys got stopped you walked off the field just kind of defeated and that is a huge pet peeve of mine i know when i was defensive coordinator you know at ridgepoint or wherever i've been it's always i'm i'm running to the field as you know as the players come off i'm saying hey hustle off the field hustle off the field i hate that body language of walking off the field and it was just happening and happening and i'm just my my you know redness level is going up and up and up and up and so the game finishes and i just take off and mom is like, Jimmy, where are you going? And I, and I said, I'm out of here. You know, I was pissed. And so I get in my car and I just gun it north up I-45. And I'm, I'm about like in the Woodlands or, or Huntsville when mom calls. And she's like, hey, you know, you want to talk to Ryan? And uh, so, she, you know, she hands me the or she hands you the phone. And I just I instantly lay into your ass. And I just say, don't you ever walk on a, you know, I, I probably need some choice words. Or don't you ever walk on a freaking field again? You understand me, you know, and you, I, I busted you into tears at that point, man. I feel bad looking back and, and mom gets on the phone. She's like, Jimmy, what did you do? <laughs> you know, and I, I said, he's walking on the field, you know? And so I told that story, you know, at your wedding and everything. And it's, it's a fun story now, but what made me so proud was I, I had the ability to watch a lot of your varsity games in high school because I was at Ridge Point, And the cool thing was mm-hmm. we were JV for our first two years. So I, I was free during your junior and senior year to go to the games, which was awesome. And I remember the thing that I was so proud of you is every time you would run off the field, but also like when the defense is coming off, you would like run to go high five them and tell them they did. Even if they had to give them a touchdown, you were there. And especially your senior when you became a captain, I really remember this. But can you just talk about that formative story? And I think, yeah, I probably took it too far, but I think my point was made. And I think it really helped you long term to develop the way that you did. So just, just let's talk about that story about like hustling off the field and just like some body language things about how, how athletes should conduct themselves in, in, in tough games. Mm, you're absolutely right. That's one of the ass chewings. I definitely remember Yeah, uh, good. <laughs> playing seventh grade football. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, yes, I never walked off a field ever again after yeah, that. Yeah, um, yeah. So it worked. Um, but no, you're right. I mean, um, you know, I, I guess being a seventh grader, you know, I never really, I didn't understand at that time sure. beforehand. 
yeah. you know, what, you know, why, why I do this or why do that. Um, but now that I look back on being a coach, I mean, I understand exactly what you're trying to get us to do. Right. Um, Cause it's huge. I mean, you know, it's one thing that, you know, I thought, you know, with, um, with Kiefer right now, you know, with our football team, with our wrestling team, you know, having a positive attitude and having confidence in what you do is such a big thing with kids nowadays. Um, you know, it's so easy for kids to get so negative or think, I'm not going to try something because I might get embarrassed on TikTok or, right. you know, whatever highlight video comes out. I'm not even going to try to play this. Um, but, but no, it's just having a confidence and having a positive attitude that, you know, like we said earlier, that we're going to always try our best, always do whatever we can um, to get better and better at what we do. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, especially with wrestling, you know, it's a tough sport. Um, and, you know, we're only a second year program. A lot of our kids are still pretty new. You know, they, it gets hard on them. So they might not have a very good record. And, you know, just trying to keep them positive with their body language, you know, no, you're not going to slam the mat. Well, no, you're not going to storm off the mat. You're going to shake their hand, go shake their coach's hand. And then we can go talk about what happened during your match. And so that's right. one thing that I still carry on today um, with my kids today. And, you know, um, you know, we still have our kids hustle everywhere during practice. You know, I'm not on the field when I'm coaching now. I'm in the box. So it's a little bit harder right. for me. But I have my guys down there hustling our kids around. Um, you know, and really, you know, we're a small school. So basically our kids get a quick swig of water and go back on kickoff, you know, if we yeah. let up a score. But, um, <laughs> but no, yeah, we, we keep those same principles. You're trying to hustle everywhere. Um, get them moving and, and just keeping a positive body language, everything that we do. Man, I got to tell one more story from, from peewee football that I forgot to, to go over, but I remember the first, I actually was, I was trying to push you into playing peewee football from the very beginning, which would have been like your third grade year. And initially, man, I don't know if you remember, you didn't want to do it. You just, and I, it's part of, you know, it's, it's hot out there. It's physical. I, and maybe you were intimidated by football at the beginning and you, know, you, you were into sports, but playing tackle football is something else. And, I know at the time you're into like Yu-Gi-Oh cards and stuff, <laughs> you know, you're kind of doing little kid yeah. things, you know? And so you didn't want to do it. Finally, we get you going in fifth grade. I remember you were so proud to put on all your gear or taking pictures of you in the house and your pad, all your, you know, elbow pads on and you're, you're just so proud, you know, to have your stuff. Well, the first day of practice rolls around and I remember you go through it and I'll never forget this face you had, man. After the first, at the first water break, you come right to me. And I'm actually a volunteer coach on, on this team here in the summertime. You, you come right up to me and you're, you're just tears are streaming down your face, your helmet, your head is just, you know, probably pounding from the helmet and you just, you're crying. You say, like, I, I want to go home. <laughs> and, and I said, Ryan, just breathe. We're not, we're not quitting. Just, it's going to be okay. And then after that, man, you, you did fine and never, it was never another issue, but like that it's hard when you first put on a helmet for the first time and you're out there in the heat and it's just difficult for everybody. So can you talk about that? Maybe for any, any parents that like have kids that are going to try football, like it's not an easy sport to transition into, like it's just hard for everybody. So can you just maybe from your experience coaching, what advice would you give like for parents in that same situation where the kid is hating the first day of football practice, you know, what, what advice would you give to them? Yeah, I I distinctly remember that a little bit, um, yeah. but you know, uh, sorry, um, but yeah, um, it, it's not easy. I mean, it's, football is a very very tough sport. Um, it's hard to play. It's hard to practice. Uh, it's very demanding, um, and it's just not easy. And it's hard for people that have never played before, you know, to try it out. You know, and I, right. I think. You know, it's that fine line of, you know, you know, do I start early, early? Do I start middle school? Do I start high right, school right. that people try to figure out, you know, and there's no perfect answer. But, um, you know, in life, some not everything's easy. And so, uh, 
you know, just trying to teach kids to just, you know, give it a shot and, you know, stick with it for a little bit. You know, right. one day of practice isn't going to determine whether you should play something or not. Right. You know, you should give it time to see if you really are, you know, wanting to play, you know, if, it, if it's the right thing for you. Um, so I, that's what I would say is give it a chance. Um, yeah. You know, and one one story, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right in that. Now, one story for, uh, you know, that I talk about a lot was my senior year of college, Austin College. Like, I regret because I, I, I was I always struggled to keep on weight as an offensive lineman. And, I, I, you know, we just have the same genes, man. Growing up, we we're both just chubby. And so that's how I got put onto the offensive line as a seventh grader and just kind of stuck there. But I, as my body matured, I wasn't really built like that. And that's, that's my biggest regret was my senior year at Austin College, like trying to force force my way into playing tight end. It never worked out for me. I ended up playing like an H-back position because we didn't have a tight end in the offense. And it's just something I really regret. And so I was very adamant with you. I did not want you to suffer the same fate. And so that's why from an early age, I was like, Ryan, just do not let them put you on O-line. <laughs> you know, whatever yeah. happens, like do not yeah. let them play. You play D-line if you have to, but – we, we, we worked on tight end drills. We worked on defensive end drills. Like I was trying to get you going down that route. Cause that's what I wanted to play. You know, whenever yeah. I, you know, looking back on my life. So I was trying to help you out there as, as the gods would have it. Of course you end up becoming a two time first team, all district offensive lineman, you know? So just like I, you know, you know we ended up the same, <laughs> but we yeah. tried. And so you did as a seventh grader, you did play tight end and you did have a pretty sick little highlight tape. Honestly, like it's, you had some good snags in middle school, man. So can you talk about that? Like, position positioning i'm always curious your thoughts on that because i never actually talked to you about this you know i actually remember and i, I probably overstepped my bounds a little a little bit here but when you started sartarsha they put you on o-line and i actually called in a favor to my former middle school coach coach falaroni was my middle school coach at sugarland middle school and i actually asked him i said coach would you please consider giving my brother an opportunity to try out for tight end i said you know he's built he's going to be built like me he's not going to be he's not going to be big enough to play o line i asked him for the opportunity so i'm just curious did you do you remember any of that do you remember that you, moving to tight end and not being there initially and then what are your thoughts about like positioning cuz i'm sure it's something you probably get parent meetings about when a parent doesn't like what position you put the kid in again i have done that one time i regret it one year i was that kid that was not doing what was best for the team and listening to the coaches. So that's my one regret, but let's talk about that. First of all, do you remember that seventh grade story I'm talking about where you were moved to tight end? Let's start. Let's start there. Do you, do you remember that at all? Uh, no, I don't remember. I didn't even know you called in. I, I don't yeah. remember that. I just remember, I just remember playing tight end in right. seventh and eighth grade. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember starting off the offensive line. I remember playing offensive line in high school for sure. Yeah, um, kind of. As soon as I got there, I was basically moved to offensive line. And, you know, let's let's talk about that got, then. So did you know I got moved to fullback for a little bit, but then I had to go back. I don't know if you ever knew that. In Travis? Yeah, I did not know that. <laughs> oh yeah, I thought I don't. Yeah, so gosh, okay, so I played offensive line my entire freshman year. Yeah, and then uh, it was I can't remember going into my sophomore year, or going into my junior year. I mean, I don't know. Okay, so sophomore year, I, I was still playing offensive line. Um, it was after that year. I think going into my junior year, I got moved to fullback for a little bit in, like, spring ball. Yeah. Um, and Josh Hernandez, one of my best friends, yeah. uh, was playing offensive line. Well, he gets hurt during spring ball or something happens. Um, because my sophomore year, you know, we had this package. You know, I was kind of a reserve offensive lineman. We had yeah. this, like, heavy package where – I would go in a little bit towards the end of the year and play fullback a little bit, you know, kind of be the guy that I, I vaguely out. remember that now. 
So yeah, I, I would go in. It was very rare. It only happened a couple times at the end of my sophomore year. But you know, I'd be like a fullback that would go and kick out somebody or something. And so going into my junior year, I got kind of moved to fullback during spring football. Um, and Josh was on the offensive line. Well, Josh gets hurt with something. I can't remember what happened. And so I had to move back to the offensive line. Yeah. And then, you know, as it comes, of course, Josh gets moved to fullback because of that <laughs> when he gets healthy again. So then, yeah. but then, you know, later on he gets moved back to offensive line. But anyway, uh, yeah, I got moved to fullback just for a little bit of spring ball. Like I remember doing some fullback drills going into my junior year. Did you ever get um, a carry in a, in practice or a game? Or are you strictly blocking? I I think it was a strict strict rock, uh, blocking. You know, like <laughs> we were big, we were a big like twenty six power teams. So I was right. like, guy, let's kick out the defensive end. Um, Did you enjoy yeah, playing fullback? I mean, were you kind of excited to to be moved off the offensive line? Or no? Yeah, I was excited, but I mean, it didn't last very long. It was literally a couple days. <laughs> Let, let's talk about so, that though, man. So you know, you you played your at Sartarsha Middle School. You were the starting tight end, and you get to Travis, and they put you on the old line. So was it something? And I think at this point. I was done fighting it. Cause again, it's it, to me at that point, it was high school football. I've mm. definitely trusted your coaches. So I stopped you, you and you know, this, like I overstepped my bounds in middle school. Cause I'm like, if they're still so young, I was like, give my, give my brother a shot at tight end. I think he won't be. And I told him as a coach, you will not be disappointed. And you played well as a tight end. You know, you, you weren't just a blocker. You caught the ball really well, but I think by high school, I understood. Okay. The coaches are going to put him in the right spot. Obviously, I was hoping we would be a, you'd be a skill guy, but it just didn't work out. But how was that for you, being a skill guy, tight end? All of us linemen dream of being tight ends, and so now you get there freshman year, and the dream is over. Were you upset, or was it just kind of you didn't care? I honestly really didn't care. I don't remember yeah. being all you know butthurt about it or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, I was just kind of whatever I can do to help the team win. Love it. Um, I really was. I mean, I just really, I just wanted to win and just get out there and, you know, give it our all. Um, I don't really remember personally remember, it, you know, anything about that. Um, so. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, arc football careers, you know, I was a two year uh, letterman and starter, you know, at Austin high school, one, t one time first team all district as a senior. So you won up to me and everything, man. So you were a three year letterman. Uh, you, you did make a but first team all district as a junior and, and senior. So you're a two time, First team all district offensive lineman at Travis High School. So you, you, you won up to me, but I'm, I'm so happy that you did, man. All that work we put in in the backyard. You had a great career at Travis. But um, I guess my question is, you know, the way that you got onto the varsity, though, and you talk about this was your deep snapping. And this deep snapping was something that I encouraged you to do. And again, just being a coach, I understood the importance of it. And so we actually started, uh, we found some guy called the Snap Doctor. I don't know if I saw like an infomercial or something, but somehow uh, this guy, Shane Hackney, I found out about him ordered like a, a you know a little kit that he had that included like a target that you know you could practice on and some instructional stuff and I think we went to one of his camps when it rolled through Houston um you know that progressed on into being going to Cole's kicking camps um, I know like uh Chris Saylor and Cole's are kind of two of the big specialist camps I guess we never did the Saylor one but we kind of for whatever reason we chose Cole's and went that direction but from a young age I guess a I guess middle schooler or maybe even elementary age. I don't remember when we started, but you were very so young. Seventh grade, yeah. seventh grade. Yeah. You were very young competing against high school kids in these snapping camps. So I'm curious, do you remember that at all? Oh yeah. I remember, I remember we went to a camp at Rice. Uh, we went to a camp at Pearland high school one time. Yep. Um, but yeah, I just remember, you know, we, you kind of introduced it to me. Um, really had no idea how to snap a football at all. Right. You know, in Pee Wee, we played defensive end, you know, middle school played tight end, really never, you know, 
snap the football ever. So, uh, but you know, whenever we got introduced to that, you know, really started working with that and started getting better at deep snapping and just, you know, kept getting better and better as we went along. So, but it was a great skill definitely to know and help me get on the field um, for my entire career, really. And for parents listening again, you, you know, we'll get to this part, part of your story later, but I mean, you were a full scholarship player uh, for three and a half semesters at the university of central Oklahoma. So the majority of your college education was paid for, for deep snapping. And so a lot of parents are chasing the scholarship. Deep snapping is definitely a way that you can do it. Um, yeah, we did spend the money for the camp. So there is money invested in development, but I mean, you don't, you don't have to spend all that money, but if you, if you have the talent as a great deep snapper, you, you can get your college education paid for. But one thing that I, for, also for parents, I just remember you would always lay on your back and often just, you know, spin the ball into the air and just work on your rotation. So that's just something for young kids to do parents. If you're listening, you know, just, have the kid while they're watching TV, just lay on their back and spin the ball into the air and work on their follow through. So that's, that's a little tip there, but let's talk about the competitive aspect. I always think it's really good for kids to play up, you know? So if you have a talented athlete, if they can play with the older age division in their, in their youth sports, like I'm all for that. If they're able to, to handle it, you know, I think that's great to play against older kids. And so you had that experience. Like I distinctly remember like they would let you snap closer because you couldn't do the full 14 yard <laughs> distance at that time. So I'd let you come up a couple yards. And so you didn't have anywhere near the velocity because you weren't, you had no muscle at that time as a middle schooler, but, or young kid, but you know, you, your snaps were always on target, always a good tight spiral. But what did you, were you intimidated to go against high school kids like that? Or, or, or did you enjoy that? Did you enjoy the challenge of being like, Hey, I'm this way younger than all these guys. I'm kind of earning a little bit of respect out here. Street cred, street cred, or how did you feel about going against older kids in the deep, these deep snapping competitions? Uh, you know, it, it'd always be a little bit of anxiety at first, you right. know, kind of like, Oh gosh, you know, you were by far the you youngest. Know. There was no one like, you. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like playing any sport. I mean, you know, if you're competing against anybody that's bigger, stronger, faster, um, but kind of once you get started, you know, you get into the flow of it. Um, it kind of all goes away, at least for me, it, it all went away because you're just going yeah. out there and competing and just, you know, just trying to do your best you can. Um, but yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. And I felt like going all those camps uh, definitely helped, you know, towards whenever we got into like later high school, maybe like sophomore, junior year of high school, you know, I felt like my skill level was pretty good. I kind of knew what I was doing by then a little bit. Um, and that's where we started going to more like competition camps, right, you know, right, where it right. wasn't wasn't as much like teaching. It was more of just going out and showcasing, you know, what you could do, you know, charting your your data on how your snaps were, your times and all that stuff. Uh, I remember going to Wisconsin, you know, twice yeah. for camps. Yeah. And so those were really competitive camps. And, you know, the first time I went, it was like, oh, man, there's a lot of people here, a lot of competition. But the second time I remember being really, really confident um, and ready for it. And so yeah. I just felt like that helped. Um you know, just going out there and competing me mentally and physically. And then as far as making the varsity at Travis, how did that conversation go? Was it in spring ball at the end of your freshman year? Did, did coach Cunningham call your head coach, call you in and say, Hey, we, we, we feel like you can be the deep snapper next year. Or, or how did that, how did that go? Like, did you know, did you feel like going into your sophomore year that, that you knew you would, you would be the deep snapper for the varsity or is it something that, that happened last minute, like in the beginning of the fall? I'm just, I don't really remember how that all went down. When did, when did you know you're going to earn that spot to deep snap? Uh, I think we, we always had exit interviews at the end of spring ball yeah. um, at Travis. And so I think we sat down. I think it was more by position. So I think it was more with Coach Farmer and maybe Coach Rich, who was our offensive coordinator, who's now at Katy High School. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think they, they basically framed it in a way that, you know, there was an opportunity 
potentially an opportunity for me to be on varsity. You know, obviously I had to still come to summer pride or summer workouts and um, still progress and, and, you know, keep getting better. But there was opportunity to maybe be the deep snapper, um, maybe be, you know, find a role in the offensive line. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of how they portrayed it. So, which I think is the best way, you know, don't, yeah. assume, don't promise don't anything. Tell, right? Yeah. Don't promise, you know, <laughs> put it as like, you know, you can, if you put the work in, you can achieve this. So that's how they framed it. And so, you know, Travis, much like many schools in Fort Bend, when these new schools open, they're typically pretty successful. In my lifetime, I've seen Hightower bust onto the scene. I mean, uh, obviously, Travis, yourself. I know, I saw Ridgepoint. I had a front row seat for Ridgepoint, you know, getting really good, you know, early on. So it was no different to Travis. You guys instantly had success. You mentioned your freshman year, I believe, was the first year of varsity. And I think they did make the playoffs and lost in the first round. And then your first year on varsity, again, you – you made the playoffs and lost in the first round or did not make the playoffs? No. So my, yeah, my freshman year was the, it was a really exciting time because my freshman year was the first year we had varsity at Travis. So right. it was the first year we had seniors. Right. Um, I ended, I remember we made the playoffs and, you know, there was a select group of freshmen that got kind of called up for playoff time. So I got to right. be a part of that, which was really awesome. Yeah. But, I remember you know, that. got my butt, got my butt kicked by the, you know, being on scout team offense or whatever, but that was still fun. Um, Zane Brown, the Zane Brown episode. He, I think he remembers kicking your butt. <laughs> oh my God. That defensive line was just amazing. Right. But, um, yeah. I remember we lost in the first round of Dickinson at yeah, Mercer wow, Stadium. Tough matchup. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I remember that. And so I, I remember, um, yeah, that was a really tough matchup. And then our sophomore year, we did not make the playoffs. Um, I think, that might have been when the hurricane hit. And you went something. to zones partway through the year, right? Because Well, I, I think freshman year was when the first hurricane, we went to zones, and then we kept the zones okay. my sophomore year, or kept it all through high school, basically. Because we basically had zones when I, my whole time in high school. Right. Zone A and zone B. So um, somehow we lost out, I think. I think we we're close, but we ended up not making the playoffs my sophomore year. Um, made the playoffs my junior year. Lost to Clear Creek in the first round. And then senior year, we didn't make it either. So Let, let's talk but, yeah, about it. Was, it was, yeah, go ahead. Um, but yeah, being at Travis was really exciting. I mean, you know, especially starting a new school, a new program. You know, we're all coming from Sartarsha, where basically, you know, we, we thought we we're going to all go to Austin together. But then whenever Travis opened up, you know, we found out that basically our half of new territory was going to go to Travis. Um, and it was exciting, you know, especially that first year. My freshman year was like, man, these guys are really good. Um, made the playoffs and, it was it was dang exciting. So, it was yeah, good, good memories. Now you had a great staff. I mean, Coach Cunningham. I mean, I remember uh, got his his saying. What, what was the team motto? The mantra that that you always said: class and character. Class and character. Class, class and, and character. character. You know, and it really was like that. Like as a parent, we were just so blown away. Matt Farmer, you know, who who ended, he ended up like uh, you know coaching for many many years, and now you know works in insurance sales with New York Life, and he's just he such a great guy. Like I was, we always remember him coming to our house for home visits, and mom just loved him, you know. And he just always he's just always been a really good guy. And you know, I share this on the show all the time. Like, and you, and you know this, you live in the same house. Like, we have a pretty contentious relationship with our dad. You know, there were good times. We're playing sports. We talked about on the show, but he has some issues, you know, that he's got to that we've just dealt with our entire lives. You know, it, it is very stressful for kids, and I'm always really open about that because. I was open about it when I was a teacher too, because I know that when I was going through that, I always felt like I was the only kid going through that. And later you find out like a lot of my friends were dealing with other things, you know, that, that we had no idea about. And same with the students, you know, I think, so I always would share that to my students, but 
and I've always shared how like coach Kitterman at Austin high school was so important for me to help get through those stressful moments, you know, when you have stuff going on at home. And so I'm just curious for you at Travis, was there any particular, did you share a similar experience like I did where a good escape for you from the, the tr- turmoil that we had going on at home was, was being a part of this football program and, and these coaches, did they, did they change your life as much as, as mine changed mine? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, uh, yeah. I, you know, I loved going to school. I yeah. loved playing sports and just, yeah. I hate to say it this way, but basically being away from home, you know, I just kind of, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. like being, being there, um, you know, we, we had great coaches. Um, I was probably closest with, you know, coach farmer, who's my yeah. position coach, offensive line. Um, coach Rich was our offensive coordinator. Um, but those guys were just, and there was a, all, all the rest of the coaches as well. I mean, coach yeah. Roberson, coach Guzman, you know, like, we had a great staff and great role models, but yeah, they, they were awesome. Um, and, and with you, along with you being a coach and with my great coaches that we had at Travis, it definitely inspired me and made me kind of want to get, get into this profession, yep. but basically, sorry, but, um, but no, yeah, it was a thing where I always wanted to be there, you know, even in the off seasons, I remember being up there at the field house after school every day, yep. you know, getting some kind of workout in, yeah. I'd be there until about five o'clock every day, whenever the coaches want to leave. Um, kick <laughs> yeah. me out. I, I would just stay there. I just yeah. wouldn't go home. I would just stay there and try to get an extra workout in, even after seventh hour athletics, um, and just try to stay there as long as I could, and just to be around positive people, positive, you know, yeah. friends. There you go. Um, yep. you know, I was on before I could drive. I remember even Coach Farmer would drive me home at times. You know, yeah. I didn't have a ride home from Travis, or I'd have to get a ride from somebody else. Um, right. So, but it, it's just you know, it was just great, great, great yeah. coaches, great people. So. As parents, man, we were just, we loved it. We loved it. Like me and mom, you know, we were just so happy you're a part of that program. And it was a great experience for us. We're always forever thankful to those coaches. And I mean, I'd, I'd be up, I'll save this more about that later on the show, but like I'd be up there watching the game and I, I would have some dads come up to me and like bitching about play calling. And I'm just like, are you serious? These, I would not entertain that stuff because I'm like, these coaches are awesome. I'm not going to sit here and, and question whether they should have thrown the ball instead of running power right there you know what i mean like i I couldn't care less about that i honestly that's how i feel now i could not care less about the play calling for my son you know and he's gonna get to go to katie so he's got you you shouldn't question those coaches but you know i I just want them to love my kid and to develop him and those guys definitely did that so i'm forever grateful to coach cunningham his staff you know coach rich coach farmer everyone you mentioned uh they were awesome now let's look at your career like I said, you had a good storied career, decorated career. You, you know, your, your, your two sophomore and senior year were not playoff appearances, but you know, sandwiched in between was this magical season. And I know you'll always remember your junior year. Let's just dig into that a little bit. Some of my memories was you had a good team, but it was kind of a little touch and go. Like I remember towards the end, you had to win a big zone game against Bush to earn your way into the uh, champion, the zone playoff game against Elkins, who was going to win the other zone, I believe, because they, they had a surprise win against Hightower at, or at the time. You know, Hightower is kind of the king of the king, and Elkins knocked him off. Elkins was running this big-time spread offense that was still kind of newer at the time. I remember it was at Mercer Stadium, and you guys were losing the entire game, and it felt like you are going to lose. But I swear to God, it just felt like you just kept running 26 power, and eventually it just started popping. Can you remember that game for any Travis fans listening? Any memories of, of that comeback victory against Bush to send yourself to the to the uh, district championship game? You know, it, it, I do remember that. Um, first off, with the zones thing, we got kind of lucky that year yeah. with the zones because, like, obviously Hightower and Elkins were the top, probably the two best teams. Yeah, yes, yeah, so, and they got <laughs> stuck in the same zone. So really, they played 
you know, only one could go to the district championship. So we were in the other zone. But anyway, um, you know, Bush was really, really talented. Um, yeah. You know, they were they, – they had um, Emmanuel Ogba at the time, yep. who's yep. an NFL football player, played defensive end. Uh, they had that safety who played at Tulsa. Um, gosh, I can't remember. Michael Mudo or something. Mudo, yeah, I remember that name. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was really good as well. But I just remember, you know, um, that, you know, they were really aggressive on their defensive line. Yeah. You know, they would run up the field and get off the football fast. And I remember, uh, you know, they played – I think I think they just played a lot of press or man coverage on the outside. And it was a super simple game plan that we ended up just going – we'd either just run a hitch on the outside or run power inside. Right. And so uh, we just – it was basically that whole mantra of just pound the rock. And we just, yeah. just kept running it and kept running the same plays over and over again. But like you said, I remember we just kept running 26 or 27 power. And eventually we just broke it. Yeah, it just broke to like a fifty-yard touchdown run, um, just right up the middle. Because you know, I think they were bringing pressure on the outside, and we got a you know down block here, kick out there, and ran up the alley. And so, um, but that that game was really awesome. We kind of came back, got some big stops on defense, um, and just made stuff happen. Just kept doing not really anything fancy, but just kept doing what we did. Um, just kept running the football, and we were a big, you know, our junior years, we were a big power team. We ran power. That's what we did. You know, I was kind of the quick guard. You know, we had a strong guard and quick guard, so we would flip sides, basically, yeah. yep. you know, depending on the formation strength, which you really don't see as much anymore. But, right, right. Um, you know, basically, I was the guy that basically always pulled. Um, yeah. We had a really great, you know, defense. We had a really great D1 offensive lineman that yeah. was uh, named Carter Wall. And I so, was going to talk about that. He, he's, he may be he, – he's up there with the best off high school offensive lineman I've ever seen. Because not only was yeah. he big, he's actually super athletic. And you kind of see him now, he's like really trimmed down. And so yeah. he just, watching the kind of movement that he would get, like I was envious when I was in high school and I'd pull around, like sometimes there was a lot of trash and you tripping over, but like he would literally clear the way for, for you many a time. So yeah, I remember, you know, early on, you know, I was the quick guard, he was the quick tackle. So we kind of play on the same side, right? Which was actually pretty funny to look at because he's, you know, that he's was hilarious. Four, and I'm like, five, it was like nine, Altuve so. standing next to Aaron Judge in the second base, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that, that, that was or like funny, the John think... or the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito, and Big, or, yeah, or not Big, yeah. whatever that movie is where they're, they're brothers. But anyway, sorry. yeah, I and mean, we're playing right next to each other. I'm like playing next to the Division One offensive lineman, <laughs> and I'm like five, nine, 220. Yeah. Um, but I remember towards the end of the year, you know, they, they wanted me to keep pulling, but you know, we did now looking back on it, it was basically tackle over stuff. So he would right. move over to the strong side, put the tight end next to me. But right. like you said, he was amazing at just basically, you know, getting a down block, but just creating the edge and just blocking basically everybody down. Yeah. We get a fullback to kick out and I could be able to pull around and that's how we just ran power. Um, we did that versus Bush. We did that versus Elkins and it just really, really worked for us. Um, but yeah, he was really, really talented. And so the way that it worked, you know, you won your zone Elkins, they won their zone. And again, if, if you look at the statistics, you guys, and the, the, you know, the, you were heavy underdogs going into this game. There's no point spread in high school football or anything, but like everybody, everybody at the time knew that Elkins and Hightower were the two best teams. So maybe you earned that win, but I, I'm sure the Elkins guys will say, Oh, you know, the, the Hightower game was our super bowl and we let down a little bit, you know, but you pulled off a massive upset out there at hall stadium. What are your memories? Because to me, the game kind of played out the same way in a lot of ways. Like you, it was very close, very touch and go. You just kept running power, and eventually, you started just gashing them in the second half. But what are some of your memories of, of that that win and getting to win your your school's first ever district championship? 
Wow, that was awesome. I mean, record wise, we were maybe, you know, I think six and four. Right. Yeah. Six and three. I yeah. mean, maybe five and three, actually. I don't know. I don't really know. Maybe five and four. But, you know, our record really wasn't as great, but we found a way to make it to the district championship. And um, I just felt like in the offensively in that game versus Elkins, they just could not stop us. Um, and we were just really confident at that time after coming back at Bush um, that no matter what we did on offense, they just had no answer for us. You know, I'm, Coach Rich did a great job of, like you said, pounding the rock. And I remember we did a double pass versus Elkins and got a big touchdown that way early on. And, and they just basically had no answer for us. And they were really talented. You know, we were really fired up. And, um, you know, Elkins is always a big game. I think another thing we always heard a rumor that, I don't know if our coaches started this or if somebody else did, but that they printed off T-shirts already proclaiming themselves as district champions, and they were going to give them out after the game. <laughs> so that that like really fired us up. Yeah, or at least fired me up to get you know that we're going to get there. And, yeah, and so I, I don't know who started that rumor, but I don't even know if it was true or not. But got me really fired up to go out and you know we played great, and we ended up finding out we got. A, I don't remember the score, but I just remember we won and got the first ever district title in school history. I looked it up, man, because I, I, you know, I, I looked up a max preps here. So you, you had a losing record going into that game. So you, you, you oh, were wow. four and five going into the game, which means before the Bush game, you were three and five. So yeah, yeah you, you guys were a big dark horse. You lost to Fort Bend Hightower forty nine to seventeen. So Elkins yeah. probably saw that. They're like, hey, we beat Hightower. These guys lost by thirty. So they, they probably weren't thinking anything about you guys. And but yeah. that's why you play the game. Another interesting thing about that season. You actually lost uh, after the Hightower game. You lost to Clements, twenty to seventeen. And I think in that season that might have been Clements' only win. So you you yeah, got off. That to, was our yeah. You got off to a yeah. really slow start. I mean, you look at it. You were lost you were two Collins. and four after the Clements loss. Yeah, so you're two and four. You just lost to you know what many would consider the worst team in the district at that time. What happened? I mean, what what was going on in the locker room? Did 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 you feel was negativity creeping in or was it like something where obviously you guys ended up being champions Did that championship, you know, uh, culture shine through to where, even though you were two and four, you guys were not worried and you just kept, kept at it. Yeah. I remember the Hightower game was pretty rough. Um, I remember I did not play that game. Um, I had a concussion and so I didn't play yes. that game. That's not why we lost. We, but it's still, if you were um, in there, it would have beat him. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm kidding. no, we're not uh, worth thirty points at the guard. I also remember that was, I think, my junior year. I think that was our homecoming game as well. That you know we scheduled, you know, to kind yeah. of try to go, you know, get ready for Hightower. It kind of backfired, and then I just remember the Clemens game was a really big downer for us. Mm -hmm. You know, that was one that we thought, you know, we should have won this game. But the beautiful thing about zone play at the time was that, you know, really, I think it was two zones of five schools, so you played four games. Um, so, really, you know, That's you correct. lost one of them. You, okay, yeah, so, yeah. You, so, you're, the only that mattered was your 0-1 in your zone because you lost to Clemens. Exactly. So, the way our coaches did a great job of just portraying it, you know, guys, all we had to do is just go and fight and go win our zone. And, yeah. you know, we had three zone games left. And so, it's really just every week was just the biggest game of the of the year. And so we weren't worrying about anything else, about what happened previously in the year. We were worrying about it one week at a time. Um, and I think it was, I don't remember in our zone, but it wasn't Dulles and Bush. Yeah, okay. So after that, you, you turn around, you beat your rival, Kenner. Austin, 24 to zero. Let's talk about Austin, that a little yeah. bit. Because you mentioned this, that you went to middle school with the Austin players. 
And so can I, I asked Stephen Ochoa this, but what was it like playing as and also that was my alma mater and it was many years ago, but there's there's some connection there. You obviously you have a unique connection of Austin High School. So for you, you know, playing as a varsity player or even when you were a freshman, I mean, did it mean more for you to play the Austin game? Was that was that the game you had circled on your calendar or or not so much? Oh yeah. It it was a huge game. I mean, we yeah. played Pee Wee football and middle school football with a lot of those kids that ended up going to Austin. And so for me personally, and for a lot of new territory kids, you know, that was a big rival game for us that we wanted to go win. And, you know, I ended up finishing up never losing to Austin. So that was yeah. one thing I'm really proud of. And so, you know, kind of when Travis was created, it was kind of branched off of Austin and Bush. And so yeah. for a lot of kids at Travis, you know, they either circled Austin on their calendar or circled Bush. And they knew that those were going to be two big time rivalry games for us and Foster as well, just being near Pecan Grove. So what was that like, though? Because that was a time when Austin really kind of hit a low. I mean, they, they really, I think they had no intense season mixed in there mm-hmm. one of those years. Maybe, maybe even your senior year. I think that might have been when they hit rock bottom. and Junior. Yeah, junior somewhere around year, there, yeah. Somewhere. In, maybe towards your senior, they actually started getting a little better. And I think they beat They got Clements. a little better. They beat Clements, I remember, in your senior year to break their losing streak. But yeah. what was that like, kind of, because obviously you got the better end of the stick, where you went, went to an up-and-coming program, you won a district championship. What was it like? With, was there kind of like a little bit of – trash i know social media was that big at the time but like what well, i'm just curious was there kind of some trash talk that you know you you got to benefit from being to like a much more successful in terms of wins program or or, or was there nothing really said it was kind of a friendly rivalry i'm just curious how that went. uh yeah i mean i don't remember anything like social media wise i mean at that time facebook was around kind of snapchat was just kind of starting but i don't remember you know us talking at least me talking that much trash but i remember during the game i mean it was fun you know, seeing all those guys that you haven't seen in a while playing against them that you played middle school football again. And so, yeah, there'd be a little bit of trash talking during the middle of the game, but um, for the most part, it was very friendly and and very competitive in terms of we're just going to go out there and compete. And, you know, our senior year, I think we had actually a really close game with them. They got a lot better. It was maybe a one score game that we barely won. So, um, but yeah, it was always, always fun competing against Austin. And like we talked about, you ended up beating and these games seemed way closer to me, but you ended up beating Dulles 20 to six. You beat Bush 25 to 15. I did not know that was a 10 double digit win. And then you beat Elkins 42 to 30. And again, you guys kind of piled on late. They were extremely close games that you busted a couple big runs late to kind of make those bigger. And then you lose 37 to 34 at, uh, against clear Creek. And I remember going to this game. Do you remember what, what stadium was that at? Was it Pasadena? Pasadena, Pasadena, Pasadena State, Veterans Memorial, Memorial Stadium in Pasadena. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. And it, Man, I, I know it was a long time ago, and you don't want to run it back, but I remember you guys were at the goal line, and I think yeah, you I remember. threw, like, a – was it a pick six or a scoop and score fumble or something happened, right? I don't really remember what it was, but – You were yeah, about we to were score in some dramatic – We're on the one-yard line about to score, and I think there was some kind of miscommunication. It was either a fumble snap, a pick, or right. something yeah. happened that was a big turnover, a big swing of events. Um, but, you know, I remember Clear Creek was a really good team, but, man, it was a dogfight. You did great offensively. They couldn't stop your power either. I mean, th- those no, last they, they three could. games could be a clinic tape on how to run power. And I'm, I'm so glad Scott reached that Katie where they, <laughs> they do that, you know, but oh, yeah. um, that was just incredible. That run that you guys went on. I'm just curious for you as an offensive lineman, did, did you just feel like you couldn't be stopped, you know, and, and having a big enforcer like Carter wall just adds to that confidence, you know, and I don't, I don't know. Did, did you just feel like you couldn't be stopped at that, at that time? Yeah, I, I definitely felt like, you know, 
Um, we definitely got on a roll late. And so I think Two good running backs can... and stable of running backs are both getting heavy touches. And yeah, it was really, oh, yeah. Uh, Kelton Ryan, yeah. um, RJ Noriega, they were great yeah. running backs for us. And so, um, but yeah, I just felt like, especially at the Elkins game, that's where it all kind of clicked for me. I mean, even at Bush, at Bush, we really felt it too. It was like, man, we just keep doing this. We just cannot be stopped. Um, yeah. and it wasn't like, uh, you know, big spread offense. It was an eye formation. We're just going to run power at your face yeah. and then take a shot deep. And so that's basically what we did. Um, but it worked. It worked for us. And we, we got in a roll and we were right there at Clear Creek and had a chance to go win that game. What was the mood in the locker room after that game? Because obviously it's, you lose by three. You're at the you're at the goal line. You could have easily punched it in. Something bad happens. Like what, what was the mood in the locker room in, the, in there and then also going into the offseason? Uh, it was, it was, it was hard. I mean, it was definitely, definitely tough. I mean, we were on such a high a couple weeks ago or the week before, you know, beating Elkins, um, for the district championship and being so close to beating Clear Creek. Um, it was tough. I mean, we, we lost, uh, that, that year also, we had a really good group of seniors that really led us, you know, uh, Ricardo Riascos, Connor yeah. Yorloff, yep. Carter Wall, you know, we just had a really good group of seniors that led us and, um, it was hard. It was hard overcoming that, um, you know, and going into the next off season, you know, um, you know, we had a lot of returning guys. We had a couple, we had a good senior group that led us and we had a lot of returners in my class, but I, I guess, I mean, we ended up not making the playoffs my senior year. I guess we just assumed it would happen again. Right. Um, right. You know, we kind of fell into that trap of just saying, you know, Oh, we won the district title our junior year, you know, right. uh, you know, Dave Campbell's is projecting us to be number two, second in our district, the high tower this next year. You know, we thought that we were going to make it and we ended up not even making the playoffs the next year. And so um, it, it was hard, you know, it, it was hard. You know, when you look back, did you like see that. some of that? Like, did you see some things like now that you're thinking about it, like some guys didn't pull the rope like they're supposed to because they were assuming, you know, or, or, yeah, or, or I, was it all just a surprise? I mean, I'm just curious how, how cause you, you, obviously you didn't meet expectations your senior year after such a great junior season. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't know about the other guys, um, but I know like me personally, I mean, I know I was doing the same thing in the offseason that I did. So basically going into my junior year, the whole goal was to be a varsity starting offensive lineman. Right. You know, going into my sophomore year, I was just the deep snapper. So going into my junior year, you know, I'd be there in the offseason all the time working out. You know, I right. wanted to be a starter on the offensive line. I wanted to be ready, you know, but going into my senior year, I've already accomplished this. And so – um, I did all the same work, but I don't think intrinsically I really had the same push. You didn't have the fire. Really you didn't have that. You didn't have the eye of the tiger, maybe. Kind of. Like, no, no. Yeah. I, I don't know. Really, I just felt like looking back on it, I kind of went through the motions of saying, "Right, I know right. I need to be at these workouts. I know I need to stay up here and, and get the extra work in." But I don't know if I was really pushing myself that we really needed to make it. I felt like we were right. all just kind of doing. We we're doing the same stuff we did. This is what we did. We're Travis Tigers. We're going to do it. But. Um, it just didn't end up working out our senior year, even though we had, I want to say we had like eight or nine defensive starters back and like seven offensive starters back. I mean, we had a lot of people back. Um, we lost, but we lost some really good seniors from that. Yeah. You lost some difference junior. makers, but I think those yeah. guys maybe brought even more in terms of attitude. And that's what I saw, yeah. man. You you guys, the, the senior year, you sort of solid team, but a lot of the physicality and just kind of mean streak was gone. I felt like mm -hmm. you really had yeah. a good thing going there your junior year where you just were an extremely mentally tough team and it didn't work out, man. And then, and, you know, 
like you said, I, I really respect you for kind of even identifying that and looking back and say, you know, honestly, when I look, when I look back, I went through the motions. And so now that you're a coach, you have the opportunity of correcting that and stopping your kids from making that same mistake, but you always have that junior season. You always have that, that gold ball sitting oh, yeah. there in the locker room off there on Harlem oh, yeah. road. So pretty awesome. Great career. Now let's talk about your transition to college. And so obviously, you know, I, I had the same fate. There, there's not a big market for five foot nine, you know, 230, 40 pound linemen, mm -hmm. right? So we both, both of us kind of knew if we wanted to play a position, we're in more division three material. You had the added advantage. You were a college quality, deep D1 quality, deep snapper. So what, how did it, how did it go as far as your decision on continuing into college to play football? Well, uh, I remember it happened late my senior year, you know, signing day came and went and I didn't sign. We had a couple guys from my class assigned, but you know, I just, I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't ready to sign anywhere. No one was really biting at me. Um, but you know, I, I kind of had a couple options, you know, basically I was down to two options. Uh, I was either going to go to Austin college, huh? go play football, kind of like you did. Yep. Um, you remember Austin coachman recruited me and yeah. did a really great Coach. job being great yeah. to me. And, and yeah, you know, wanted me to come up there or I was just going to go to university of Houston Yep. You know, maybe try on for the football team there, um, kind of be close to home. Um, and those were kind of my two options. And then it's like late April, like um, probably after my birth or ap after like April 17th, you know, yeah. it's my birthday. Um, somewhere after that, I get an email from, you know, I've gotten a couple emails from like schools in like South Dakota and yeah. you know, Minnesota. Those are just kind of too far for me. Sure. I just didn't want to go that far. But I got an email from the University of Central Oklahoma. Uh, Coach Tom Howe, who's a special teams coordinator there, he was actually in contact with Cole's Kicking Camps, who uh -huh. was the camps that we used to go to, um, and they were looking for a deep snapper. And so he emailed me. It's like late April, and I ended up going there. I got there just in time for like their spring game. Um, I think me and mom went maybe. Yeah. And so we went up there for like a weekend, um, and it was really awesome. It was a really nice place in Edmond, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. We kind of fell in love. And, yeah, it's like maybe late April, early May, and I decided – I'm going to UCO. I'm going to go try to walk on at a division two level in Oklahoma. Um, Cause that was the arrangement, right? Was the arrangement was you're going to be a walk on. Mm -hmm. Cause most schools aren't going to award a full scholarship right out of high school to a deep snapper. It's like you were told if you can earn the starting position, as soon as you earn the starting position, you know, at, at the end of the semester, we'll, we'll, we'll honor our commitment to you and, and scholarship you. Um, yeah. So basically it was uh, the head coach was Nick Bobek and they were just coming in that spring. They, they brand new staff kind of re revitalizing the program that was kind of on sanctions before. Um, but yeah, he kind of addressed me and said, Hey, there's an opportunity. We're in need of a deep snapper. Uh, there's an opportunity for you to basically win the job. Mm -hmm. If you win the job, you know, potentially down the line, we can talk about money and all that right. stuff. And that's kind of what they sold to me. And so, you know, I walked around, I went to that, that game, you know, I saw the deep snapper was not the best at the time. Who ended up being one of my better friends at UCO. So I, <laughs> I ended up knowing who that was. But he was more of a linebacker that they kind of asked. Sure, deep sure, snap. of course, yeah. Um, they didn't really have like a true deep snapper at the time. So who um, was it? Coons. Oh, yeah, Tanner Coons. Yeah, nice. Okay, yeah, yeah. great linebacker. Tanner Coons. So. Yeah, 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 great. Um, but that was funny. But yeah, so I kind of knew that I had an opportunity to go go for it and it was pretty late in the process but I decided hey let's I wanted to do it um yeah. you know for me I wanted to keep playing um I wanted to go somewhere and I didn't want to go too far away from home but yeah. I did want to go away from home I, yeah sure I felt like for me personally you know to get away from 
Yeah, of course. I hate to say it, but get away from, you know, dad or whatever, but like to start new, <laughs> yeah. you know, start fresh. Yeah. Um, man. was probably the best, you know, and so that's what, you know, you and mom were really supportive. Oh, yeah. um, of coming that was up great. There. It was really, it was a great place. And so it ended up working out really well. So. And so I'm curious, man, do you think, because the way that you got your foot in the door was through the Coles camp. So this was an example of us investing in the camps did get you the opportunity. I mean, as far as I understand it, had it not been for the camps, you would not have been found by them and given the opportunity. But I guess my question to you is, do you feel like all the camps are worth this for any parents listening? I mean, if they, if their child does want a deep snap, are the camps kind of a necessity? Cause I know sometimes I see the amount of money parents spend on like travel ball, like soccer or softball or whatever. I'm like, God, it's like, with all this money you spent on these travel teams, you could have just paid for their college, you know? And so the Coles camps weren't quite that bad. They were, they were, it wasn't like we're going every weekend. You're having to travel somewhere like some of these travel teams, but it it was costly at at the end of the day. But do you feel like for, to make it as a deep snapper in college, is it kind of a necessity unless you are just a phenom and you're just extremely talented? Like, do you feel like you kind of have to do the camps to make it as a college deep snapper or, or no? I'm curious your thoughts on that. No, I I think especially for deep stamping, you kind of do. It's a small community, right? Um, you know, there were some legit. There, hey, one of the snappers is playing for the Bills right now That's that awesome. I went to camps with. I pretty sure he went to LSU. I think his name is Reed Ferguson. Okay, um, but I think he went to LSU and ended up like snapping for the Bills. Might still be in the NFL. I don't know, but and there was the other guy that went to Wyoming, and and so it's a small community. But yeah, um, yeah, I felt like with, especially with that you know deep snapping community, you had to be kind of in the circle, I guess, right? as you sure. say. And so it, it definitely helped um, whenever some colleges are looking and they know, you know, that these camps are happening. They, he con- or Coach Howe contacted uh, Jamie Cole, who kind of runs the camps. And he gave them a list of what's going on. Um, I think Coach Howe kind of found somebody from Texas who was nearby, uh, sent out some emails. I ended up, you know, it worked out really well. Um, found a spot up there, you know, ended up starting tra- straight from my freshman year. all the way. You played the- every so. single game of your career. Yeah, like 44 games or something. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I have the distinction of every time I came to watch a game, you won. And and many of them were actually yeah. kind of in upset fashion. Like, I came to some of your better. I wasn't going against Cream Puffs. I think you pulled off big upset maybe against Washburn or something one time. I mean, I, I saw some really good games where you guys pulled off some big wins. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, we are like we like I said, Nick, or Coach Bobek came in, our head coach, and we were not a very good program when I first got there. You know, we were 2-8 and eight my first two years. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that one of those two wins that first year you came was against number 10 ranked Washburn. That was so it. Now we beat yep. them at home. So, yeah, you were there. I'm that good, I'm that um, good luck charm, man. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I went uh, to that game. I traveled to come some other games. I, I went to Pitt State, which is probably my favorite. That was that was towards the yeah. end of your career. I think that might have been your last game yeah. or second to last. My or senior, something. My, I think my, my senior year, my last regular season game. Yep. And before the bowl yeah, game. And that was an awesome stadium. Game. If anybody like likes traveling for college football check out Pitt state in pittsburgh kansas that's a really cool stadium man uh that was awesome and i went to emporia not so much <laughs> that's not a cool stadium uh you guys won that game in emporia kansas but uh yeah man lots of lots of good times there could you see the difference like when you when you at travis you know you're, even though your senior year you could you could feel a little bit of a letdown you guys weren't like two and eight you were still like around 500 you know you still had a chance if you could pull off a win against elkins i think to make the playoffs so you were still like in it but being on a two and eight team, I have some experience. You know, my old Dean career, I went two and eight, no and ten. Did you did that feel completely different to you? Who's kind of like at Travis? You're used to being around a winner. Was it weird for you just seeing? Like, did, could you see stuff, actions by your teammates, or maybe some of the demeanor where you're like, I see why we suck right now. Like, I, there's some things, some things here that aren't right that you saw. 
Yeah. Yeah, I definitely could. I mean, it was a different role for me because, um, you know, my junior and senior year, I played quite a bit of football, you yeah. know, playing offensive line. But now I was back in that role of just being a deep snapper. So my amount of playing time was actually really low. Right. Um, obviously, because you only get out there for a little bit. But yeah, I, I remember those first couple of years were really tough. Um, I remember number one ranked Northwest Missouri State came into town. It was so cold in Edmond, and they beat us down like 77 to nothing. Wow. And at home. And it was just the most epic beatdown I've ever been a part of. Um, That's hard to do in college I, football. Like high school, you see that a <laughs> college football, you don't yeah. typically see a 77 to nothing when everybody's on scholarship, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, we just beat, I think we just beat Washburn like a week or two before. Yeah. I mean, number 10 ring. So like, uh, or maybe it was, I don't remember the order, but um, no, it was, it was rough. I mean, um, I knew coach Bobek had that demeanor about him that he was going to get it turned around. You know, I remember being at that first meeting, you know, when we got there all in the summer with the new recruits and, you know, he, he said our only goal or one of our goals is to win a national championship. And I really believed him and that we were going to get this thing rolling in the right direction. And so, you know, it was a matter of time, um, you know, kind of now that I've been in coaching and whatnot, you know, we kind of all expected that second year that it was just automatically going to be better. But sometimes that second year is hard, you know. Yeah. I've kind of gone at, through that here at Kiefer. You know, our second year in football was great, but our second year in wrestling was really hard. Right, um, yeah. And sometimes, you know, we, you know, we the first year you think, you know, it's going to be rough. we got to put in new things. But year two, it's just going to be so easy, so much easier. But it's not. You know, sometimes yeah. year two is – there's a lot of setbacks that happen. And so um, that second year when we went two and eight again, it was like, man – Golly, are we gonna be able to get this thing turned around? But then you know we had a magical run our my junior year. We that's kind of your thing. (laughs) Having a great junior year. (laughs) Yeah, and so we like went from like two and eight to eight and four or something. And so it was it was pretty awesome. But it it was amazing seeing that transformation happen. A lot of my coaches that listen to this, you know, they they lead programs that are that are losing. They've been brought in to try to change the culture. You know, is the big buzzword and, and get it going. And so, what did you see happening? Like, when did you start feeling like what or what did you see that Coach Bobek was able to do that? that w- two questions. Like, when did you start thinking like, man, we can do this? Like, and what did you see happening that made you believe that? You know, uh, when when he first came in, he, you know, he really preached his core values a lot, yeah. which I thought was really great throughout the entire time I was there. It was you know, always trust, character, effort was everything that we did. And, you know, going into my junior year, it just felt different, you know, so basically let's read rewind so my freshman year was you know you know rough obviously um but going into my sophomore year and we thought it was going to be better but it wasn't as good but we had a really good recruiting class from that first year wasn't my class there was a class after us Mm -hmm. and it was a bunch of like Oklahoma kids that were studs really yeah Um, a bunch of small school Oklahoma kids that wanted to be there and our coaches basically made a decision that we were going to redshirt most of those guys yeah for the future of the program and so You know, I remember being there, you know, snapping on the side, but I remember watching Chaz Stallard and Josh Crockett, you know, on scout team offense, like dicing up our defense. Yeah. Like, like they cannot stop our scout team offense, but, right. you know, <laughs> yeah. they could help us. <laughs> uh, you know, our coaches knew that it was better for everything if they just redshirted. And, you know, one of them, Jake Gandrew, who was a running back, was really good. He ended up playing as a freshman. But um, I remember when those – when that group came in, it just kind of felt like, man, these guys – they, they know what's going on. You know, they, they have an idea of doing everything right, working hard, and they could really play. And so when we got to our junior year, when all those guys were able to play, 
you know, we got really good. We got really confident in what we're doing. Um, you know, we kind of made some tweaks to what we did. And I just felt like the, the guys that we had there, you know, some guys left the program, some guys got kicked off. Yeah. But the guys that we had there were really bought in at that time. And so you could just see that the buy-in was really there starting our junior year on. As Let's talk about – yeah, no, man, I, I love hearing that. I, I could see it too. You guys have great yeah. culture. Like you could see after wins, you guys would like sing your kind of like Michigan does, you know, where you kind of like sing your fight song, you know, your, your team song together and just good stuff like that <laughs> at your wedding. All, all of your former teammates came, you sang that, that old, the, the old ode to old blue or whatever, central blue or whatever the song good is. Good old central blue. Good, good old, old central, central blue. blue. Yeah, man. I just love stuff like that. I, that, that is great culture. That is great culture right yeah. there. And you guys had it. Let's talk about, and talking about um, relationships and culture. What's what the unique relationships among specialists? I always loved, I mean, you're a half Japanese guy. You had an Australian guy who's your punter <laughs> one time. And you, so that relationship between a snapper, a holder, a punter, and a kicker, <laughs> you know, usually specialists are kind of odd ducks and they kind of have their own little things. And I would always remember you guys would have fun handshakes and you'd bow and do all kinds of fun stuff. So can you describe like for listeners, what's that like? Cause most of us have played football, you know, or sport, but like, we've never been a part of like a specialty group like that, where that's it's me and three or four of the guys. That's all we do. We're the, we are the special forces unit. What's it like being a part of a specialist group? Well, it was awesome. And on top of just like being together, you know, practice all the time. We also lived together <laughs> off campus during that time as well. So, yeah. uh, you know, those guys, uh, you know, TJ Ecker was our holder yeah. throughout most of my, uh, not my freshman year, but sophomore year on, he was our holder. Um, and then, you know, our kicker ended up being Seth Hiddink, who was a transfer from Texas A&M. We transferred in. It was a really great kicker for UCO. Um, but, you know, basically, I think from maybe junior year on, we all lived together along with another football player, Garrett Baker. Um, but, yeah, it was awesome. We were really close. And, heck, we even lived together. So we would practice our, our you know, snaps and whatever. Our, uh, gosh, we call it the front yard. <laughs> yeah, we'd just go snap wherever. Go make That's stupid awesome. videos or whatever. And so, um, but, no, it was, it was really fun. And so it was competitive. TJ is uh, – Big time sports reporter here in Tulsa now, yeah, Channel is. Eight. Yeah. yeah, and so you know he would always be really on the dot, precise about you know where my snaps were at, or you know if I'm giving him laces or not on the snaps. So we ended up getting pretty good towards the end, where I was able. He he knew it was like seven and three fourths of a yard or something. That's he awesome. could get laces from my snap. So, um, but and then we had Seth, who was a really great kicker. You know, huge kicker, like six five kicker, but. Um, you know, Texas A&M transfer. So he's, he's a big time that helped us out. Two questions I have for you about specialists. Cause I know a lot of my coaches, you know, a lot of times, like we don't know a lot about the special, we know about special teams, like kickoff coverage and punt, you know, but the actual act of doing the punting or the snapping, maybe a lot of us haven't experienced it. One question I have the holder in the NFL. Sometimes it'll usually be a backup quarterback or it will be the punter, you know, will hold for the kicker. Do you have a thought on that? Like, for, first question is for you, does it – obviously, you really like having TJ as your holder. If somebody else was the holder, would that make your job more difficult? Like, does, does the holder actually make a difference for the deep snapper? Not, I, I never felt like it made a difference for me. Okay. I know it makes a big difference for the kicker. Okay. Okay, that's good. It, it makes a huge difference for the kicker. Okay. Um, depending on how they tilt the ball and whatnot. Um, you know, and so that makes a huge difference. Um you know, personally, I'm not really big into the punter being the holder. You'd rather have a quarterback or an athlete. Yeah, I, I know theoretically you could get more, you know, reps during practice on the side. But sure. 
I just think in case of a bad snap or something yeah. happens, I you got to make I the fire call more you want. Yeah. able. Yeah, with the football. So no offense to punters, but yeah, no. you know, <laughs> you know, just honestly having a better athlete back there, football. That's you read game, my so. mind. That was my next question, yeah. and I agree with you. I, I also like having the quarterback there. And the last question I have is: typically, people will set up seven yards back for you know for a kick attempt a field goal or extra point attempt right the block is set seven yards Mm -hmm. from the deep snapper and then punts are 14 yards the two questions i have is these aren't hard these are not rules so how did how how did you how do how are those distances derived i've always kind of wondered that like why is it seven yards instead of six or whatever and so that's my first question as far as the kicking distance like hypothetically if you're trying like a 50 yard field goal or something that's out of range could did you ever consider like scooting up a yard you know, to, to make the kick actually shorter for the kicker, or is that too dangerous to get it blocked? You know, because you're, you're having to kick it so far. I'm just curious the thought process about, and you mentioned that TJ would, would all, sometimes like mix up his distance to where it wasn't exactly seven yards. So can you just explain to us listening that maybe aren't, haven't thought about this, how do you choose your yardage distance for your, your kicks? Yeah, I mean, I don't know why. Seven yards is always kind of the golden rule for yeah. field goals. Um, I don't really know why. I know from seven yards, you can kind of play around with it. Right. Um, at least talking to some deep snappers at camps and whatnot, you know, we, we kind of decided on, you know, if, you're, if your snap is consistent enough as a snapper, you're snapping with the same velocity every time, you know, ideally you should be able to snap it with laces to the holder. So basically what that means is that when the holder would catch it, the laces would be, would be sure. up automatically. So yeah. as soon as they put the ball down, it's already facing the goalpost. So yep. not, basically eliminating the holder from spinning the football. Correct. Correct. Which is not easy. Um, it's it's not easy, but um, you know, at the college level, you you'll see that more often. Uh, so how do you how do you guys, get that? It's it, you're saying it. You just you have to always snap at the exact same velocity, and he needs to make sure he's at the right distance. Is that how you ensure consistency? Yeah, and- I mean, his part would be the distance, and then my part would just be having just trying to be as consistent as possible. You know, I always equated snapping um, to shooting basketball. You know, you guys you got to yep. do a million reps of it to get really good the same exact form every single time um, in, in order to have the same outcome. And so that's the way, that's the mindset I kind of took on it, you know, especially playing basketball growing up. And so um, it's just reps after reps after reps, reps getting better. Yeah, that's funny you talk about that. I forgot that you played middle school basketball. You were on the A team. You actually weren't yeah. bad. You hit a couple threes in games. So yeah. You were not bad. Yeah, I wasn't, yeah, it wasn't good. But I was, I was okay. <laughs> All right. You're coming good coming off yeah. the bench, but, and then what about for punts? the 14 yards is that something that you ever played with like i've always kind of thought that like if there's not a heavy rush why not get closer so that you you gain a yard of, of distance in your punt <laughs> you know i've always kind of thought that like why 14 and did you ever did you ever change the distance no i felt like punts always changed more okay uh, depending on the style that you wanted to do um you know sometimes if you see rugby teams they'll kind of scoot up a little bit right um for whatever reasons um typically it's because they don't have a snapper that can snap it with enough velocity right um you'll see that too if people don't have a snapper that can really fire it back there they'll scoot up a little bit just to kind of help them out sure sure um and you see a lot of like the i don't know what you call it i call it purdue punts but basically they're you know two by two set quarterback just backs up a little bit and they're yeah. gonna punt it out of that set and so you seem that be a lot more popular nowadays um especially with teams without a long snapper on the team you know um, last question i have on the on the science and art of long snapping i don't, I don't know i guess one question on the punter it doesn't it didn't affect like getting the laces or anything right you just need to get it there quick as quick as you can it wasn't as important as like on a field goal um i would always try to get on the hip though get it on his um, hip okay would, that's a good point i would yeah. aim you know like 
my punter, my first couple of years was right-footed. So um, that was always trying to aim on his right hip. So that way he yeah. caught it right there. He could just place it down. Very but yeah, cool. I, at that distance, I can never get laces there. And it kind of switched my senior year. We had a left-footed punter, and so I had to switch hips, which was kind of hard. But um, ended up getting, yeah, it was good. And then last question is, did you did you snap as hard as you could? I've always wondered that. Like, when you're going for field goal snaps and punt, and you, maybe they're different. But did you snap as hard as you could each time? Or is it something where you are trying to control your velocity to get a little more uh, consistency or accuracy? No, I no, I would I mean I'd snap it hard, but not as hard. Okay, as I potentially could. I mean, I felt like if I just snapped as hard as I could, it would just go flying. Right. I'd have right. no control over it. So it was a thing where it definitely had to be controlled, um, especially on field goals. You know, I felt like the biggest thing on field goals was accuracy. Right. You know, you don't want to just fire a laser back there that your holder can't hold at all or can't catch. So you got to make it catchable. You know, make sure it has a good accurate spiral on it, um, so they can. You know, your operation time is still good. Um, punts, you know, you could – I could fire it a little bit more. I had a little bit more range that I could mess up, basically. You know, he's standing up, not just on one knee. So, um, I always felt like I was under control of it, but it would always be a firm snap whenever I was snapping it. And speaking of the relationships you made at, at uh, UCO, you, another – the most important one, more so than your buddies at, at your house, was your future wife. Uh, Morgan, you know, uh, Morgan Fairchild Kovaleski, you know, and she's yeah. awesome. My sister-in-law, I, mean, I love Morgan. She's just been so great and kind of a, and she, she can, like I said, she can shoot the hell out of a basketball. I got, we got to go shoot up a keeper last time that I went and she is, in, I was uh, blown away at how well she shoots the basketball, but you know, yeah. obviously that's kind of how you guys met, right? Wasn't that the story that you, you kind of had a, you liked her. And so you found a way to become her coach on a <laughs> intramural basketball team or something like Tell that story. Yeah. So uh, basically it was like my senior year of college, you know, and the plan was always, you know, go to UCO, go for four years, play, you know, get my education, then move back to Houston, you know. And so and, you knew you wanted to there. coach. I guess that's a question I always ask. So you already knew, I guess I started in high school or when, when did you first know you wanted to coach? Just to... Uh, Probably high school. Yeah. I knew I wanted to get into coaching and teaching. Um, You know, you're always a big influence on my life. And then I always had great teachers and coaches at Travis. Yeah. Um, and start Harsh Middle School and as well. And I just knew that I wanted to get into that route as yeah. well and be a positive yep. influence. So, um, but yeah, going back to college, yeah, we had a class together our senior year, kind of our friend, one of our mutual friends kind of like hooked us up to like sit together, not on <laughs> nice. purpose, but then we ended up like liking each other and then ended up started dating. But yeah, ended up somehow where I was like a, a coach basically for her sorority uh basketball team who was like horrible um and like what's funny about it was tj eckert who was our holder was actually the ref for the intramural league so he's there like refing these games and so uh but yeah i just remember it was rough some of those girls never played basketball before in their life right so it was like oh my goodness and this other sorority they're obviously like practicing and stuff but yeah my wife played softball and played basketball in high school and so she's really really skilled in both she can pitch really good in softball and then it's a lights out three point shooter in basketball. So it's, I, I always think I'm better than her, but she definitely is a better shooter than me. I will admit that. <laughs> yeah, I can verify. You're pretty good too, but she, she's better for sure. Yeah, she, but, she's um, good. yeah now, now you, you did stay on a year as a graduate assistant coach. So you kind of got that taste of what college coaching was like. And I'd like you to talk about that because a lot of our listeners, you know, they may be, they may be high school coaches that are considering going to college. 
you know, you, you ended up getting to work on John Kay's staff at North Shore. We'll get to that in a second. And he's going to Rice University. So he's leaving the east side after all. I don't know if you knew that yet, but he's leaving North Shore that. to become a linebackers coach, I believe, for the Rice Owls. And so wow. let's just talk about the – so for, for my listeners that are high school coaches that are interested in college, I think the general wisdom is usually they say if you're going to do it, do it while you're young because to get started in college, the pay is not good. You know, they'll cover your room and board and stuff like that, but not actual salary a lot of times. you got to pay your dues. And also you got to travel a lot for recruiting. So usually they say when you're young, try to move up in college because it's hard to have a family, you know? So can you talk about your experience? I think you did it, I believe for like one year, right? So what was it like being a college football coach? What could you tell our listeners about the differences between high school and college? And what did you like better? Um, so my first year after uh, graduating, I actually moved back to Houston, like you said, Yeah. Um, ended up getting on the staff in North Shore, which we'll talk about later. But then that second year, is when I went back to UCO and right. ended okay. up right. taking the graduate assistant job. And so basically, kind of like you said, um, you know, I got provided with the opportunity to go be a GA at UCO. And it was kind of one of those things where if you're going to try it, you know, you better try it early in your career. And so um, that was one thing that I decided that was kind of best for us. And so I ended up going back to UCO and man, it was, it was a lot. It was, I learned a lot of football during that time, which was great. Um, but man, it's, it's definitely a grind. It's not easy for all the GAs out there. Um, you know, especially you're, you're not making very much money. Um, you know, I went from working at North shore my first year, you know, coming in, making quite a bit of money as a first year teacher and a coach. (laughs) Yeah. I was making good money. Something that I just got back to here in like my last year at uh, Princeton, Texas. Um, but then I went to GA and, you know, I was making, you know, six, $500 a month or something, sure, sure. Um, which was, you know, it's just crazy. And so in that, on top of that, you know, you're having to take classes um, for your graduate program and then you're working, you know, a lot. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we'd be up there a lot, breaking down a lot of film, um, setting up, breaking down. And especially what people don't realize is at the division two level, being a GA there is, you know, when you watch Georgia on TV, you know, you see this huge support staff of, Right. you know coaches and everything else what at the division two level it's like it's like seven coaches and four GAs and that's like it so right. you know it, like we were doing like everything for the program you know for my own personal laptop I was basically the like social media graphic designer because I like <laughs> downloaded photoshop so I was like making all the like photoshop recruit or graphics for all the recruits trying to come in and so awesome man spent a lot of time doing that trying to get people to come to UCO yeah um just kind of self-taught myself how to do that, trying to give myself – basically, that was the thing, being a GA. You just had to find a, a niche, basically, to give yourself right. a role. Um, and so that's one thing I kind of fell into, um, and it was a lot of work. And so, you know, one thing I didn't realize going into it was, you know, you obviously during the season, you know you're busy, right? And so coaching, football, you know, you know you're up there probably six or seven days a week. You know, you're up there a lot. But, uh, you know, at the college level, it wasn't it, – you, were, you were up there all day working. But then after practice, you know, you would stay up there with the coaches till about 9 or 10 o'clock at night each night, breaking wow. down the practice. Yeah. And then, you know, getting game plan ready. And so, like, 9, 9 or 10 every single night was tough. Yeah. And then, you know, going all day on Sundays, obviously, and then just getting everything ready uh, Sundays and Mondays. And so that was rough. And then probably what was really hard was after the season – it's when you get into recruiting season, yes. which as a college is vital, you know, you have to do, yep. but that's probably even more busy for, you know, for especially, you know, I got put in charge of basically 
you know, calling up the hotels, making sure we had hotel rooms ready. Um, I well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you have the you have the genetics for it. Your mom is the best travel agent travel in the world, agent. so you kind of <laughs> yeah, that's right. the team travel agent. Our yeah, mom, of I, course, is the longtime general manager of Japan Tours and Travel, so that's our little joke there. But you became the yeah. team travel agent as well. Yeah, I mean, you, and it's not like I said, Division Two level. There's not a lot of support staff, so right, right. you know, all the the full time coaches they're out recruiting, they're on the road recruiting. You know, all of us GAs and a couple coaches would stay back. Um, but it was a lot of setting up recruit, setting up visits, making sure we had uh, older players ready to host players, making sure that we had hotel rooms ready, that we had like their little cookies that we'd give them, right, with their personalized right. name on them. I had to get ordered every week, um, <laughs> making sure, you know, parents were coming in, that we had room for them, um, graphics, all this stuff. And it was just, you know, really us and me and three other GAs that were basically all in charge of that as well as they would give us a small recruiting area that we were supposed to go out and recruit into. Um, and so it, it was quite busy. You know, it was a lot during that spring and especially or that winter, I'm sorry, especially that spring, I was getting married as well. And so yeah. it was just kind of a lot that all happened at once, but it was a good experience. I learned a lot from it. Um, and so it was definitely great. Kudos to you, man. I really, I remember coach sniffing or, or coming through my, my coaching career. They, the advice we always gave to young coaches don't sit in the office, you know, like don't wait or, or basically don't wait to be told what to do. That is the best way to catch the eye of, a, of your head coach is if you're the person who's finding stuff to do. And it sounds like you did that by becoming travel agent and graphic designer. I mean, you found all these little roles where you could help the program. I'm sure coach Bobek definitely noticed that, but as you described, man, that, that's a hard life. You know, it, it's great that just be like all football all the time in some regards. I'm sure that's cool, but it, it's a grind. And so you, you ended up, we talked about the North shore. I want to save that for last, but you also had an experience where you, you, you guys, you know, her being from Oklahoma and us being from Houston, you, you were trying to kind of split the middle and live in the Metroplex area. And so you were at uh bowls junior high, which is a feeder Arlington Martin, which we all know is one of the better team. It's a powerhouse team in the state. I mean, it's, it's like maybe like one notch below like the true contenders. I mean, they are very good, you know? And so like many of our guests, you know, you kind of got junior high experience too. So you're kind of unique in that you've had, you had junior high, high school and college coaching experience. Not a lot of our guests have done that. Did you feel that was, and let me back up one step. A lot of our guests that have coached junior high, they swear by it. They say coaching junior high, do it for a year. They're like, that is one of the best experiences. It made me such a better coach. I'm curious your thoughts. Did that year at Bulls junior high make a big impact in your career? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, after I GA'd for the year at UCO, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I was kind of burnt out by it a little bit. Yeah. Um, it, it was a lot, especially I think it was hard because, you know, my first year as at North Shore, which was pretty awesome experience coaching and teaching yeah. and kind of fell in love with teaching and whatnot. And so Good, I kind of yeah. missed that that second year when I was at UCO. And it's just, you know, it's a grind a lot. Um, and so, yeah, we were trying to look at to get into the Dallas Metroplex and, you know, found an opportunity at Bulls Junior High, which was a feeder to Arlington Martin. Um, you know, Bob Waker was the coach at Martin at the time, who's now in Nebraska. But mm. I remember, like, I'm just a little GA, and he, this guy is, like, the big-time 6A coach calling me up for a junior high job, you know, several times. So I'm like, man, this is pretty awesome. So yeah. ended up taking that, and, yeah, it was a really great experience. Bulls are – the way they set up junior highs down there are really awesome. You know, in Arlington, you basically have two junior high feeders for every high school. 
um, one school that I was at the Bulls and then Young basically fed to Martin. Um, but it was set up really well. We had a great weight room for a junior high, and we were trying to do a really good strength program. Um, but it was a really great experience. I mean, my first three years of coaching, I went from coaching high school ball, the next year coaching college football, um, and the next year I was back That's coaching junior high football. That's interesting because you did it so, kind of like – most people go like uh, they go middle school into high school. <laughs> you yeah. went from college to middle school. I don't know if that's ever – that's kind of a yeah. Yeah, I went from, like, being, like, the running backs coach at UCO, like, assistant special teams coach to, like, coaching offensive line in seventh grade and eighth grade. So, um, but it helped me. I mean, I coached a lot of different positions early on. And you coached um, soccer. I remember you kind of learned. Yeah, and I, was head, and I was the head soccer coach. Yeah, that was yeah. the other thing. I've coached a lot of different sports, too. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> on my resume. Um, but, yeah, no, it was a great experience. Um, Can I speak to and, Bob Wager, though, right there? And that shows why yeah. he's such a good coach that – you said he called you for whatever reason he identified you and really liked you. But that to me shows how much he cares about that entire program that like he is, it, it mattered to him who his seventh grade football coach was. It really mattered. He targeted somebody that he wanted. He went after it and got it. I don't know if every coach does that, you know? And so I think that's a big reason for the success at Martin is his attention to detail. I mean, did you kind of get that vibe from him of the fact that like, where you kind of like, you kind of said it, you're a little surprised that this big time six, a coach is like, blowing your phone up trying to get you to come coach middle school football yeah i mean at first i thought um it was going to be an opportunity maybe at the high school level but it right. just didn't work out you know right. their staff being full um but then he was still just you know really on me just trying to get me to the junior high and yeah um you know and i ended up you know accepting and so uh no it really speaks to how he you know really runs his or how he ran his program from a great way and martin is a special place you know, if, if you go to – I'd recommend anybody, if they can have the opportunity to go to an Arlington Martin Summer Pride workout, it is yeah. one of the most awesome things I've ever seen um, in terms of just school and community involvement. You know, a lot of times people – you know, they have great um, – they have great facilities, which help. But a lot of times, you know, Summer Pride's broken up into different sections, you know, like 8 to 10, 10 to 12. Sure, yep. They do – everybody in the entire school goes from 8 to 10. Okay, so awesome. co my coaches, I, please go into depth on this because this is I find this interesting. So I know my coaches yeah. are going to love this. So one workout, everybody, eight to ten. Yeah, everybody is there. So like every single sport, every single athlete, which at a six A level is just a bunch of kids. So you just have this entire field, field, uh, and it's also oh by the way, also junior high kids too. So not just high school. You also wow. have like seventh and eighth yeah. graders there too. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's set up, and it's really great how they have it set up, but um. You know, they have an old weight room in the in the high school, which is still usable. They have the varsity football field, which is outside, and then they have their indoor, but that was just built. So because of that, in the indoor, there's a 70-yard indoor with a brand-new weight room. So basically, you have two weight rooms and two fields available, if that makes sense. So uh -huh. you have four different areas where you can work out people. So they'd have two groups or four groups, basically. So one group would maybe start in the old weight room and go outside. The group outside would go into the old weight room. And in the indoor, the group in the weight room would start there. Mm -hmm. And then there would be a group that start in the uh, grass or the turf on the indoor, and then they would switch. So basically, everybody would be working out at the same time. Now, um, you would need a lot of coaches. That was the only thing. So you had to have a lot of coaches to make this coordinated and possible. But um, we would have a coaches meeting every day at like 730 that would go over this workout. And that's awesome. Um, a lot of the junior high and all the high school coaches would basically be there. Um, and it was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was it was really impressive when everybody's warming up together and doing everything, I, you know, that way. 
I love that. I love that the, you know, because I mean, I, I've been a part of it before where, you know, I've led summer conditioning workouts before. And it's like, I don't know that we had meetings like that. Like I was in charge of getting the workout. We all kind of rolled in there early and set up, you know, but we weren't meeting like that. I think that's a great level of detail just to make, because obviously yours had a lot of moving pieces. At Ridgepoint, yeah. we, we did have it split up, you know, where we'd have several different workouts throughout the day. Um, but did Coach Wager ever go into why he did that? Was it just kind of a, a community bonding thing that he liked that? Or what was the reason? for why he wanted to have just one big session. I think it was a community bonding thing. I mean, he was really big um, into the whole school being successful and whatever it is. Love um, it. Gosh, what's the, they have that competition of what's that thing in Texas? The Lone Star um, Cup or they, something? Lone Star Cup. He would always talk about the Lone Star Cup and how he wanted uh, Martin to be the best in everything that they Love did. It. And so, That's a good athletic um, coordinator right there. Yeah, yeah, and so I mean, also actually, I just remember this too. They'd also have like a little kids section, um, yeah, where that like, some some guy would like be running them through like a little workout on the side or whatever. That's, that's but awesome. They they were called like the line touchers or something. Like they'd always make sure they touch the line and something. Love it, but, love it, love um, it. no, they were blessed with obviously great facilities, which a lot of people can't do that because they don't have you know two really working weight rooms available or two running yeah. spaces available. Um, which also obviously logistically makes it hard, but um, they were blessed there. And it was just a really awesome thing. Just everybody was basically working out together. Um, you know, it felt like an entire community was basically there working together. And so everybody knew to be there from eight to 10, you know, that's when and, you, you did the workouts. And you were renting a place at the time. Now, what was that high school that you lived by? I remember there was a stadium right near your house that we went one time. Kennedale. That was Kennedale. Kennedale. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I, 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 I have they been good? Cause I, I, I've never, are they 4A or they're a little smaller, right? They're a little smaller, maybe like 4A ish. Um, I don't know. I think one time they made a run when I was there. Um, don't really know much about it. I think they ran the triple option, maybe had some athletes. Yeah. Kennedy, I just looked it up. They went eight and four this year, six and one in yeah. district. So they're pretty good pro. But I always found that interesting. Like I always felt like you're so close to Arlington and here's like this little Kennedale just tucked away in there. And uh, it, it was really interesting to me. But then it, then you end up moving across town to Princeton. And this is the part of the city that I'm familiar with. My good friend is from Josephine, Derek Ruthart. Yeah. And so you were right across Lake Levon there over in Princeton. And uh, many Austin College uh, people that I've known from Austin College were from Princeton. And Princeton's kind of Austin. Princeton is like a recruiting hotbed for Austin College. I actually had several players come from yeah. come from Princeton, including we had a quarterback that was really good and almost had a shot to try out for the CFL who I believe is from Princeton. I think you may know who Colt I'm Collins. Colt Collins. That's right. Colt, yep. Colt Collins. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, so you, you're at Princeton, you were there for one year. This is where you, you bought a beautiful house or two years, excuse me. So you're there for two years. You have a beautiful house right off Lake Levon. And you know, you, you got to really even kind of learn wrestling as an assistant uh, there. And so you kind of picked up another skill that would benefit you later. But the question I have is in the Metroplex, you've already mentioned the indoor facility at Martin. You had one at Princeton. We don't really have them here. I think C.E. King is the only one in Houston that has one. I know Coach Rick LeFevre is the head coach at Ridgepoint. He was telling the story of the week leading up to the Westlake game. They practice in the gym every single day. And I know as an athletic coordinator, when you're trying to do that and you only have gym space, when it rains, everybody wants to use it. So all the sports are fighting for it. People get left out. I'm a big proponent of we need more indoor practice facilities. Can you just describe for us Houstonians that have coached without it for so long, what it was like being in the Metroplex and having access to an indoor? Was it like, did it make a huge difference? Um, let me start with that. What kind of, how, what, what kind of difference did it make having an indoor? 
Um, no, it, it was a big difference. Um, obviously having that facility, um, you know, the thing that I didn't really, you know, obviously coming from Houston, you know, no one really had it, especially when I was in school. Um, but, you know, we kind of ran into the same problems that you kind of mentioned with the cafeteria space yeah. or the gym space or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, it ends up when it's cold out, everyone wants to use the indoor as well. Right. Um, sure. And so that also, you know, you never thought never thought about that early on. But basically, if you're in season, you kind of got the precedent or the right, right, priority. Right. So if we ever did have really bad weather, yes, we would still be able to have a full practice. Um, you know, we only had we had a 50 yard indoor, which is really nice. So you were able to still do seven on seven. You're able to still do um, inside run. You know, you're able to still do some things. Um, now, you can't do everything. Space is limited. But um, you're still able to, you know, we ran full practices, basically. Right. And that's uh, it's we good were, enough. We or was it air conditioned? Uh, I don't even remember if it was air conditioned or not. It would get <laughs> hot at times. But they had these big vent things that they could open up and it would air out. And so. Um, how many yards do you think you need? Obviously you need the width. You need a, you need a 53 and a third width, but how many yards do you think minimum an indoor would need? I'm just kidding. Cause you said 50 was enough. Could you go 25, 30 or you need 50? You feel like 50 yard is the minimum you would need. So, uh, I, I think 50, cause I think 50 gave us an opportunity that we could do, you know, team offense on one half and then team defense on the other half. Now, cause we couldn't throw the ball during that time couldn't throw it deep but we could still run through some team stuff correct yeah um each side of the ball um you know i've been to frisco schools you know in frisco yeah. isd you know their big thing is that everybody's gonna have the same facilities and everybody has a 20 yard indoor okay yard that, indoor that's what i'm getting at have you seen a 20 so, yard indoor and what's it like yeah yes it's it's just too small um yeah, okay. you really can't do anything and, and i've talked to a couple of frisco coaches um, all you can really do is, you know, a couple individual drills. But if you think about a 20 yard indoor and then, you know, 53 yards across, but then you're trying to get your whole team in there to go do a practice, there's just not enough space. Um, so there's really not, they use it more. I and mean, it was mainly at Lone Star where we would go over and do some uh, lineman challenges and stuff, but they would do a kind of extension of the weight room from there. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've been part of 50 yard indoors. I think Mar I think Arlington had like, a 70 yard indoor, which is gotcha. awesome. Plenty of space. But yeah, I think 50 plus is probably the minimum. If you want to be a big time, you know, five, a six, a level program. Um, that's just, it's really a big game changer to have. I remember when we had inclement weather in Sherman at Austin college, we would go to Sherman high school sometimes. And I think when people hear the word indoor, they're like, Oh, here goes football again with million dollar stadiums and scoreboards. And now they need an indoor, but like it was just a, like a barn. It doesn't yeah. have to be the Taj Mahal. Like it, you know, and, and in my opinion, it doesn't even need to be enclosed. It just needs a roof. Like it could be, it could be open air on the side. I mean, obviously you prefer not, but like to just get what you need to accomplish. I don't think it even needs to be fully like closed in. Honestly, it just needs a roof, <laughs> you know, yeah. if you're really uh, pressed for cash, but it definitely doesn't yeah. need to be air conditioned or anything like that. You can have vents and fans. And so I just think that you really need it. Cause like you said, yeah, people are now going to fight over the indoor, but at least it's one more venue that you have. So it just, it just gives you one more space, and then if whoever doesn't get the indoor can use cafeteria or gyms, and it just gives you one more option. So I'm big indoor guy, but eventually, you know, and I, for 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 families like yours where you have in laws living in different parts of the country, I feel like trying to do in the middle. I totally understood what you're trying to do, but I think that was got to be tough on you. You had your, your daughter Reese, and now you're getting zero help <laughs> because you're you're pretty far away from both families, so you're just caught in the middle. And so I think you made the right wise decision to just go ahead and move back into Oklahoma. 
uh, you moved to uh, a town called Sepulpa and you're coaching at Kiefer and you have a beautiful house, man, of a pool and everything. So excited about that. And so I think that was a good decision. So I'm really glad you did that. But what was it like having been in Texas for so long? And we all know Texas high school football is kind of revered around the country as the best. And I think Oklahoma high school football, it's maybe not as known. Oklahoma on the high end has some teams like Jenks and Union and, you know, some of those guys that are extremely good that people know about. But, like, maybe across the board, it's not as well known. So my question is, were you scared to kind of leave Texas high school football, you know, and and just kind of the you, you know you got a sure thing there? Were, were you kind of nervous to to move to another state? Um, you know, and then what what, what did you find? Oh, you know, once you did that. Yeah. Um, oh, and one, one more yeah, thing I want to add to that, Ryan, because I mean, I know Jake Smith, one of your fellow, you know, he was at UCO for a while and he came to my staff at Aldine. So he kind of did the opposite where he left Oklahoma to come to Texas. And I kind of think you see that a lot of you. We see coaches in Texas coming from other states. And so you had the opposite experience. So kind of what was that like? Um. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Texas, you know, grew up around Texas high school football and how it, it, it is great. It's it's one of the most competitive things in the country. Um, and, you know, it was one thing I loved. I loved coaching in Texas. I, I My first year, I got to coach at North Shore High School. And, you know, we went four rounds deep my first year. And yeah. we beat Katie at Reliant Stadium. You know, like Gosh. that doesn't happen very often. That was my first year coaching. And, and you know, now, uh, you know, when I got the opportunity to go to Oklahoma and, you know, be closer to my in-laws and, you know, and have an opportunity to go coach with my my father-in-law, my brother-in-law at the same school. Um, it was hard at first. It was hard for me to accept that, um, you know, being at a school that plays 2A football, you know, 3A, basically everything else. But it's a lot smaller. It's a lot. It's a different. But uh, I've really fallen in love with it. You know, it's yeah. really been an awesome place. Kiefer is a special place. Um, you know, and it's I, people just don't understand. It's different than being at a big, big school. You know, the community involvement and knowing everybody and um, it, it's a really awesome place. So I've really fallen in love with it. Uh, it's really been great for our family just being outside the Tulsa area. Um, but yeah, it was definitely hard at first, you know, it was one thing I was very resistant to at first and um, you know, didn't want to leave the Texas high school coaching community, which is so big and the network is so large and, and so great. But um, now that I'm up here, I mean, there's still great football. There's still great sports up here. Um, and it's just as competitive. And so it's, it's still been good. I still got, you know, even though I'm at a smaller school, you know, my fear was always that, you know, the level of football would be less. Right. But I mean, these guys are still doing very, very complex stuff. And I don't I feel agree. like the level of football is very, you know, it's, it's almost sometimes it's, it's challenging. You know, now I'm a defensive coordinator. It's challenging being at a two A football school because, I mean, you have some people that are super old school, some people that want to be new school. Yeah. So, you know, one, one week, you know, might be facing spread and the next week is triple option and the right. next week's a wing T and then it's like yeah. high formation. And then it, it's just very varied because, you know, some of these schools have been doing it forever um, and that's what they do. And so uh, that was, you know, in my two years, it's been very challenging, like week by week, you are not seeing the same offense. Cause I remember at Princeton, you know, we were a 10 personnel, 11 personnel team or I'm sorry, 20 personnel team. Um, but kind of everybody ran that, you know, the college right. style. Right. You know, there's a sniffer back, you know. That's not the case here in Oklahoma. Thank you, Reese. And so, um, but yeah, everybody's everybody's so varied. And so it makes it difficult and it's challenging, but it's it's fun trying to look at different schemes and seeing what do people do and how can we stop it. So 
No, you, it's been great. I, I can vouch for that. I've watched a lot of your games on streaming, and like I'm really impressed with the level of football. You guys had a great season. You're, you're, Trent Worley is your head football coach. I know you love working for him and, and the other guys on the staff, and you advanced – the farthest in recent history for Kiefer, at least several rounds into the playoffs, you know, lost a really tough game to a good opponent to end your season. But the thing I'm really curious about, you also became the head wrestling coach and not just becoming the head wrestling coach. You started the wrestling program. So for any coaches that are in that position where they're starting new programs, so maybe you're the athletic director of the school and you're thinking about adding wrestling or, you know, you're a coach that's been assigned to start wrestling. What advice can you give to my listeners as far as like how, what were some of the difficulties or what was your experience like starting a wrestling program with boys and girls? Initially you were just going to do boys, but you ended up also adding girls. So what was that like? Well, it was tough. I mean, first off my background in wrestling is very limited. Um, yeah. Having never wrestled before in my life. We don't but, have it in Fort Bend. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. It's not in Fort Bend. And then just in Houston in general, I mean, it's starting to get more popular now, but um, it's really not that popular in Houston, you know, and, when I coached at Princeton, you know, my second sport assignment was wrestling. And so I, I really got to learn a lot of wrestling um, from Ryan DeLaverne, who was our head wrestling coach, um, did a great job teaching me in the two years about wrestling. Um, but yeah, it, it was, uh, it was definitely, you know, when I got the job at Kiefer, you know, they didn't have wrestling before. I think it started, they tried to start it beforehand, but they didn't have it at the moment. Um, and the, basically as part of me being hired, you know, we got a new superintendent that came in. Um, from Sperry, who has a very strong wrestling culture. And he basically said he wanted to bring wrestling to Kiefer. And so I was kind of tabbed as the guy that's first off coming from Texas, going to, you know, get the job as defensive coordinator. And then also because I have a wrestling coaching background, you know, I was the kind of only coach on staff that had wrestling background. So they asked me to start the program, um, wrestling program. And Mm -hmm. so I accepted, um, you know, it was a lot of anxiety at first. It was hard because, you know, I, I'm not really, I never wrestled, you know, I, I didn't wrestle before. I only, only coached wrestling for two years and now I'm going off and trying to start my own program, a brand new sport. Um, and so that first summer when we got there, it was hard, you know, like trying to figure out what do we do? Um, we don't have, we didn't have any wrestling mats. We don't have any uniforms. We don't have any practice space. And then, you know, we basically, we had to fundraise for all the money that we had to to use. You know, we, we weren't really given any money. Um, to start the program. So, you know, on that, on top of being a brand new defensive coordinator, which I was never a coordinator before, heck, I was coaching offensive line before. So it's like switching sides of the ball. Just like me. Like, <laughs> it's so yeah, funny like, how you are foots, you know, you followed my path. Yeah. Like, History I, I never envisioned being a defensive coordinator. <laughs> I always thought I was kind of offensive line guy, but then, you know, got this opportunity, yep. and jumped in, and uh, it's been great. But, uh, you know, it was hard trying to learn defensive stuff. And then on top of that, like during the season, I'm like, crap, I, I, I got to get this wrestling program started. Like, as soon as we get on football season, like, we're going into wrestling. So I remember doing fundraisers during wrestling season. Like, I would have my classes, like, make posters and stuff, and we're, like, trying to, like, fundraise so we can have enough money to buy singlets and buy hoodies yeah. and stuff. Um, but, yeah, wrestling-wise, it, it, that first year was awesome. You know, we had a bunch of kids that I recruited the heck out of the hallways and got a bunch of football players that I coached and basically said, hey, if you're not playing basketball, you need to come wrestle for me. And so a lot, a lot came out and, uh, you know, we were just going to start with only boys at first and kind of a couple weeks, weeks in, uh, we had a girl that wanted to come join and, you know, in Texas, girls wrestling is really big, um, really big actually in in Texas and Oklahoma, it's kind of a new thing. So it wasn't, a lot of schools kind of don't have it, but I knew from my Texas background that girls can definitely wrestle. So I was all for it. You know, she kind of joined the team and, you know, this last year, 
Uh, it's only her second year wrestling, but she went 19 and seven this last year and was almost a state qualifier. So she was, she's dang good. She's getting better as a sophomore, um, but she'll keep getting better. But anyway, um, yeah, that first year was hard. I mean, also another hard thing was moving states, you know, trying to make a schedule with first off, I didn't even know what the names of these other towns were. They're like our, like our size. And on top of that, like, how do you find out who the coach is? Right. So then I'm like, I, I didn't know it. I didn't have any numbers. So then I'm like, in the middle of summer, I'm calling these random schools, like their secretaries, like, hey, who's your wrestling coach? And then can I have his phone number so I can call yeah. him? Yeah. We're going to try to set up a tournament or a duel or something. Right, so, right. Um, that was that was hard. That was hard. Yeah. I spent a lot of the summertime trying to set up that wrestling schedule. So, um, but yeah, it, it was a lot, but we got it done and got it rolling. Yeah, glad glad to see all the success at Kiefer. Now, last thing I know, our, my, a lot of my listeners will be interested to hear this. What was it like? Because your first coaching stop, so I should go backwards now. Your first coaching stop was at North Shore. You were uh, at the freshman center, you know, and, and coaching ninth grade football, I believe. What was it like being a part, you know, of the the East Side tradition there at North Shore and, and working under the legendary John Kay? Oh, it was it was awesome. It was kind of a thing that. Uh, it was a late hire, so it happened last minute. You know, at first I was going to be with you mm-hmm. at Aldine, but it ended up not working out. That's um, right. And I guess let me, I guess I'll tell a little bit of that story. You can finish, but like yeah. you know, we got this call while I was on vacation. I was on vacation in Chicago, <laughs> you know, with my wife Christine, and we got the I got the call that you know we couldn't do it, we couldn't work make it work at Aldine, and it's very late in the summer, and so I, I think I reached out to John. I was able to get John K's number somehow, and I texted him and explained the situation. You know, hey, I'm the head football coach at Aldine High School. My brother was going to be on staff. We couldn't make the position fit. He, like Coach Wager, very quickly responsive, very interested, did his due diligence. So I, I, that's the little background there. But yeah, go ahead and pick up the story. Yeah, so it ended up not working out. I remember starting Summer Pride with you at Alding, yeah. kind of helping with summer workouts. And then, you know, the whole – it basically didn't work out, nepotism and whatnot. And so, um, you know, went back on the job search. Like, oh, man, okay. I'm gonna, yeah. It's like July now. I'm trying to find yeah. a job. Um, and somehow North Shore had a freshman job open. Um, basically what it was explained to me was they were going to hire a guy from Louisiana. Um, he had to back out for some personal reasons. And so it was late July and I ended up interviewing. I kind of was a good fit with my teaching field and whatnot and ended up getting hired. And so, um, you know, it was awesome. I mean, it was amazing culture, um, amazing place, obviously amazing athletes, but it's really, it's set up. You know, John Kay did, did an amazing job of setting up a culture of, you know, everybody's going to be held accountable and everybody's going to work. Um, and it was it was truly amazing to see. You know, I think I think they 20, 2016 was when I was there. So I think they just came off the state championship run. Wow. When they I think they just beat like uh, Sam Ellinger the year before. OK, with, yeah. Like Caleb on chase on was like the, you know, big DN that we had, yeah, yeah. you know, he was his senior year. And so I think that was the year before, but I can't remember exactly. So, I mean, we were just coming off the state championship. And so, you know, this is really high expectations and it was amazing. Um, you know, in terms of setting up a program from the top down, coach K did an amazing job of that. Um, and you know, I've never, he, he's one of the best I've seen about just having total control and having those kids in line. Yeah. You know, on North Shore, you know, we had so many kids playing football. You know, on, on the freshman staff, there was four of us at the freshman academy. But, you know, we had like 110 freshmen or something wow. there. So awesome. we had like three freshman teams for like four coaches or something. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was a lot, but it, it was a lot of kids buying in. And then, you know, as soon as we got done with our freshman football season, 
we kind of bust them over to the high school and everybody was part of the same off-season workout regimen. And, yeah. uh, you know, I remember doing the boot camps um, and having a perfect day, a perfect workout. And, you know, it, we would do that a lot. And it was just – everybody was just held accountable. It was a different standard. Um, and, you know, Coach K knew it and knew that, you know, if their ultimate goal was to be recruited, you know, that they needed to buy into what they, we did. You know, I remember um, there was a poster – or a sign and it was one of the things with having so many great athletes there they're blessed by this but um you know you know having so many recruiters come by you know basically if a kid was messing up um, getting in trouble not showing up you know whatever it may be first off you know he'd get on him but then eventually at practice he would put them in like a different colored jersey or something he'd put them like in a green uniform yeah. a green practice jersey yeah so they really stood out and he would tell the recruiters like hey if they're labeled in green you're not going to want them basically. So basically wow. like visually calling them out, like hey. showing them yeah, like That's you better buy in or else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, no, I mean, it was, it was big time. I mean, I remember, you know, you, you don't, you miss workouts or miss something. He would go to your locker directly and he would personally pick up all your stuff. And yeah. when you showed back up, you'd have to go talk to him to go get all your stuff back. Hands on. Uh, I love that. I love that he was part of every part of the program. And then wasn't there some famous thing where they had to like put their shoes on the sideline in pregame or something? Can you just, I've, I've yeah. seen that on TV or so. What, what was that all about? No, I mean, he, his attention to detail was right. unmatched. And yeah. so, you know, no matter what the offseason workout was, he was going to be one that, you know, everybody's helmets have to be in a line, everybody's right. shoes have to be in a line. Right, right, right. And so, um, you better. Um, so he, he, his attention to detail was amazing. And so it, yeah. it made the kids in line. You know, I remember in boot camp, we had to be in perfect lines and per, you know, old school calisthenics we would do, um, on a synchronized count. And so everybody had to buy in and, and make sure they were there. And so, um, you know, while I was there, we had some phenomenal athletes. I mean, NFL players yeah. that were still buying into what we were doing. And so, yes, he, he definitely ran it from the top down. Um, you know, I thought, you know, the big thing was, but being a head coach, you know, now is, you know, is, you know, you want to delegate to your assistants, you know, give them roles, um, but you still have to be the guy that kind of runs everything and, and is in charge. Mm -hmm. And I felt like he did a great job of being that guy that was, if it was ever a discipline issue or a serious issue, he was always going to be the guy in charge of that. Love it. Um, yeah. And so I just thought he did a really great job of that, um, you know, dropping whatever he, he was doing at the time and taking care of that issue right now. That, if they didn't want to buy in, they don't need like a part program. So I love that, man. I, I love hearing that. And there's there's no doubt that he's so good. But you know, obviously listeners know I'm moving to Katie. So my son Bo, if he chooses to play, I mean he's gonna be he's gonna be a Katie Tiger. Uh, you know, Gary Joseph will be, <laughs> I'm sure, retired by that point, but we'll see who they bring on. But what was that like playing, like being on that field against the vaunted Katie Tigers? And obviously, you guys are just every bit as vaunted, if not more. What was that game like just seeing two Texas high school football heavyweights go at it like that? Oh, it was, it was, it was amazing. I mean, it was also, uh, I'm pretty sure it was the third round. So I'm pretty sure it was Thanksgiving week as well. Yeah. So it was just like another thing that just added on top of it. And so, um, you know, obviously having Thanksgiving week practices are special. Um, you know, this last year at Kiefer, it was my second time having a Thanksgiving week practice that nice. first time yeah. was at North shore. Yeah. You know, I never knew that, you know, I just thought that was the norm my first year coaching. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was amazing getting prepared for them and just knowing how good they were. You know, it's it's Katie. You know, they're gonna run the football. They're gonna be yeah. stout on defense, and they're gonna be dang good. Um, but it was kind of cool seeing that whole. You know, the way we Coach K sold it to our kids was 
the whole east side versus west side rivalry. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's basically it. a battle for the city of Houston that we're going to meet in the middle at Reliant or NRG. Yeah. And go battle it out for the – be the kings of Houston, essentially. But um, that's what I thought was fun about it. You know, Katie coming from the west side. We're coming yeah. from the east side. Um, when you won that game, Ryan, I just – I thought – oh my God, my brother's going to get a state championship ring. And then of course the next week there was a little bit of a letdown. You had the rematch against your rivals at Atascacita. You'd beaten them in the regular season, but they got you. They got you at NRG. I actually went to that game. So unfortunately the, the route, the ride ended there, but what a great experience for you. You got to coach NFL players. Like you mentioned, I know Zach Evans was on your freshman team. You know, it's gonna be a highly drafted running back. And so really great experience. I always ask, you know, I hate seeing negative behavior. I mean, I'm so like I've, I've said, like when I, when my kid grows up, I am, I'm 100% introducing myself to the teachers and coaches. And the first thing I'm saying is thank you. Thank you for taking care of my son. Thank you for all you do. Like that's the, the kind of relationship we're going to have. I hate some of the negativity I see from parents, whether it's directed at coaches or officials or each other or all kinds of crazy stuff. So, you know, I'm sure you've dealt with some of it, you know, in your career, what do you, what do you recommend? You know, what, what, what advice for somebody, you know, that you've been coaching for a long time, you've been around the game for a long time. You've seen a lot, even though you're, you're still in your twenties, what do you recommend to, to try to get us to get past some of this negativity that we see in sports with parents? It's, it's hard. You're right. I mean, it is, it is negative. I think it's um, for me, I, I really try to communicate up front um, yeah. and be proactive about communication um, with parents um, and concerns or issues. You know, I like to explain, I feel like, especially at Kiefer, um, you know, I mean, that's everywhere, but I feel like more so at Kiefer, a lot of our kids need to know the why behind decisions. Okay. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know why, I don't know why, but they need to know why, you know, whether it's we're asking them to do this thing in the football game or whether we're asking them to do this at practice or change position or workout, you know, it's not so much when I felt like when I was in school, if a coach told me to do something, it was yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, right, automatically, right. you know, yeah. and I don't think it's more, I don't think it's like questioning us, but, they just need to know a reasoning, like, what okay. are we yeah. thinking, I guess, I guess. Sure. And so I felt like that's built more trust of my kids and parents is saying like, hey, proactively, this is what we're going to do. We are going to do can this I ask because, you, well, yeah. Can I interject one second? What about John Kay? I'm just curious, what was his approach? Was, was he kind of a my way or the highway? If I tell you to do it, you just say yes, sir. Or did John Kay provide re rationale for all of his decisions? I'm really curious how he approached that situation you described. Um. Gosh, dang. I mean, I can't really remember, Okay, but I think it was more like if, if he would bring a kid into closed doors, like a private conversation, um, he would more so explain the why. Okay. Um, yep. I think in front of a team setting, he wouldn't do it as much. You know, he was more of the authoritarian, you know, in front of everybody. I kind of agree with that because um, when you're in the team yeah. setting, you don't have time to be like rationalizing everything and getting, getting the kid's approval. I mean, in some yeah. of those situations, you kind of need a yes, sir, because we got to get back to work. And so I, yeah, I understand what you're describing here. It is a tough, it's a tough way to go. Yeah, no, yeah, it, it, it's it's a hard balance. I mean, it's yeah. especially now I'm a head wrestling coach and you know defensive coordinator. I'm getting more leadership roles in my in my teaching and coaching and whatnot, and it's hard. Um, you know, you want to build a positive relationship with the kids, but you ultimately you have to be the authoritarian and be the uh, be the guy in charge of the program. And so um, it's not easy, but it's something that is necessary. I feel like and terms of holding kids accountable, but also getting them fired up and having a positive attitude and confident that they're going to go out there and give their best at all times. So it's a tough balance. 
All right, Ryan, we're kind of getting towards the end of the show here. Some of your favorite teams. I mean, you grew up, you were a big Rice Owls fan. I mean, that was your team, man. You had always had your little Rice hoodie and stuff like that. We went to a ton of Rice games. You went to all the youth camps. And I guess as, you know, as you got older, kind of drifted away from that a little bit. And I mean, Rice, obviously, is a hard school to get into. So I think you kind of just realized maybe that wasn't the place, you know, you were going to go. And then um, I know you've always been a Texas Longhorn fan. And then, you know, sports-wise, kind of just some of the local teams, you know, Astros, Rockets, all that kind of stuff. So kind of we know that but um i'm i'm wearing in your honor i'm wearing a tulsa golden hurricane uh basketball jersey and the reason is you live oh. in tulsa now and i i didn't know much about tulsa but it's actually really kind of similar to rice and so the times that i've been there we went together to a basketball game at, at the reynolds center and had a great time you me and your daughter reese and uh really enjoy the university of tulsa so i, I think that's a I love Tulsa, man. It's a super underrated city. Like your wedding was awesome there and just a great downtown. The the suburbs are really easily accessible to get into the city. So love Tulsa. So man, in your honor, wearing the Tulsa Golden Hurricane jersey. And then I know if your family marrying into a, a true Oklahoma family, as far as the Oklahoma, Oklahoma State debate, you're a little more on the orange side. You're more, more of a go pokes guy than a boomer sooner yep. guy. Um, but last thing I want to ask you, Ryan, you you are a part of the the beginnings of Travis Tigers. And that program has been really good. They missed the playoffs this year, which for the first, it might've been the first time since that year you missed it as a senior. I mean, I feel like they've always been in the playoffs since then. I'm asking, I was, year. Yeah. I, I always ask about Mount Rushmore's. You got to be there and see some of the early influential people. So if we had to make a, for a lot of the Travis Tiger fans might be tuning into this episode, who would you, who would you put on your Mount Rushmore? So your top four all time uh, faces of the Travis Tiger football program. Uh. Okay, well, I'm going to go. I mean, this is a tough question. I mean, there's a lot of great people that I, when I was there. Uh, you're asking for players, right? Are you not, asking... not, not necessarily. You can go whichever. I, I've had some people put a coach on there. Okay. You're going to go with just players for this time. That's I mean, it would be yeah. hard for me to dictate coaches. I mean, yeah. we had so many great coaches when I was there. Um, probably the number one guy I'm just going to go from when I was a freshman uh, would be Zane Brown. Zane Brown, you know, the defensive coordinator at Cy Springs High School and a fellow team player podcast alum. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I was a freshman, you know, we all kind of looked up to that varsity team, and Zane was one of the leaders of that great senior class that kind of led our our group to, you know, the playoffs for that first year. Um, and so he was a monumental leader for them and a great player. Um, you know, we all kind of looked up to. And then uh, kind of secondly, kind of guys more that I played with, because I really didn't play with Zane just being a freshman. Um, but kind of another important piece was kind of a quiet leader, but gosh dang, a really good player would be uh, Connor Yorloff, who Man, was our yeah. Mike linebacker. And yes, so this dude was dang good. Probably didn't say five words, but he was dang good. Ended up being yeah. a really good player at Trinity University. Yep. Um, and it was really fun watching him play and just fly around. That dude was one of the ones that just always worked like no other and was just really good at everything he did. Yeah. Um, probably number three would be uh, Carter Wall. Yes, uh, good one. You know, he was just such a talent and such a great player that I got to play next to. You know, being able to play next to a Division One lineman was just amazing. And so, you know, Carter was just great. Um, I've never seen anybody be able to dent a defense the way he did. You know, yeah. if he just got on a down block and moved people, it was just amazing to watch and pull around. And so it was, it was amazing watching him play, how talented it was. Uh, and then finally, probably number four, you know, was a guy that was younger than me, but I felt like was a true leader for kind of getting Travis to the next level after I kind of left was uh, Cody Moncure. Yeah. So 
Uh, Cody, I think, was a year younger than me. Um, so kind of that junior year when we had that magical title run. You know, he was a sophomore, like newcomer of the year in our district. Yeah, as a receiver, and then I just remember after after the year after my senior year, you know, Travis kind of had a magical run. I think where they went maybe two or three rounds deep yeah. in the playoffs. Yeah, and you know, I remember them beating Deer Park at like NRG right. and stuff. Yep. And Cody was Cody was one of the leaders of his class. He wasn't the only one. I mean, there's a lot of great players, but he was kind of the ones that kind of I always felt like was a leader early on. And just a really great player. Ended up being a really good player at Houston Baptist University. Um, but yeah, he was he was a special one. So I would say he was also he needs to be on the Mount Rushmore for Travis High School. You did a really good job with that, man. That that was a good one. And there's definitely, like you said, there's so many other guys I could think of. You know, oh yeah, yeah, that that were a part of that too, man. Uh, but uh, and you know, even yourself, man, you would definitely be in consideration. You had a great career there. But this has been episode number fifty six in honor of the number 56 Ryan Kovaleski of Travis Tiger days. So we, I saved this episode for you, man. I've been saving 56, you know, with your name on it. If you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have, please take a moment to give us that five-star rating. It takes five seconds, but it helps us tremendously. Also just word of mouth. We don't have the biggest fan base, but we have a loyal one. And they really do text me after episodes, say that they've enjoyed listening. And so tell, tell a friend, if you have somebody that, that is into coaching or, or anything, just let them know about the show, hit the follow button to subscribe and hear new episodes as soon as they come out each week and follow me on Twitter at coach underscore Kobo. That's coach underscore K O B L. You can hit us up at team player podcast, gmail.com. And we lift up our own inside team player nation. So a lot of our guests are, are referrals from other guests. So I really love that. So hit me up. Let me know how we're doing. Any suggestions? As always, the cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast provided by two of my former players. The cover art is by Kaiser St. Cyr, and our intro and exit music is One More Good Enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. And Reese, my niece Reese, has come into the Team Player Podcast studios. Hey, Reese. Good to see you, sweetie. All right. I'm glad to see you there, Reese. <laughs> And again, you can search for Avrion's music uh, on all platforms. That's Avrion, A-V-R-I-O-N. Ryan, man, this has been fun. You are now the coach. You're the true coach Kovo, man. I'm just coach Kovo in name only. You are the coach that's carrying our tradition, man. We are all so proud of you, man. So proud of everything that you've done. You come a long way and it's, it's not over yet. Uh, but this has been a long episode. Reese, I'm going to give you your daddy back now. You know, I've, I've, I've held him hostage here for the past two hours. But uh, Ryan, thanks again for coming on the show, man. It's been a real pleasure. It's been an honor. Thank you for having us. All right. Thank you so much to all the team players out there for your support. And we'll catch you all down the road. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, and one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bump my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, and one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bump my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, I'm just fine, I'm good enough. But you be told I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily But now I got a legacy